Hello, crew of this enterprise. We couldn't quite bring ourselves to allow your podcast feed to be empty for a week, so we decided to go with the lesser of two evils, which is to go full shades of grey and to give you a compilation of all of the episodes covering season three of Lower Decks, just in time for season four to launch, and we'll be covering that next week. Enjoy! So this week in the season three premiere, the crew of the Cerritos is grounded as Captain. Oh no! Jane Captain Wei. Freeman, no. Right? Captain Freeman is being put on trial for a crime she didn't commit. In the meantime, our lower decks crew, led by Mariner, must find a way to get back to the Cerritos to find some logs that could prove her innocence. Plus shenanigans. Not tree logs. Uh, this is actually no. like a digital documentation yeah they stopped carving into actual logs long 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 ago because it was just it was too much too much weight turns out we need trees um not in space (laughs) right no air in space um so (laughs) what did you think of this episode i loved it i loved it it. (laughs) Uh, this was one where i can tell that there's a really good cannonball aimed directly for super fans a A couple times cannonball I didn't even mean that. You didn't mean to do that? No. Oh my goodness. That, that was, was accidentally brilliant. No, because the visual is like when you take aim at something and mm-hmm. like when you hit, it hits hard like a cannonball. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I looked over at you <laughs> during the show a couple <laughs> times and you <laughs> if you were in a Grinning? chair uh-huh. that didn't have feet, like you couldn't, your feet couldn't touch the floor, you would have just been like a kid just Oh, yeah, my wiggling. legs are waggling around. I'm jumping mm-hmm. backwards and forwards. There was so, so much... So much good stuff. So many references in this one. And a few that that hit me really well because of the certain movie that they came from, which happens to be my favorite Star Trek movie of all time. So Uh. this episode was very much designed to to hit Ian on a lot of levels. Um, Yeah, loved it. Loved, absolutely worked. Uh, Just the episode itself as a story works. It's a classic retake the ship because there's an injustice being done with just, I love the spin because Starfleet, is always like Starfleet stands for good, but no matter what, Starfleet is doing some sketchy shit. So usually, like Picard will have to say, "This isn't what Starfleet stands for." What are you doing? And I just, I love the ending of the episode where it turns out Starfleet did exactly what it was meant to oh, do. That was what nice, a great ending. Because honestly, I was expecting it to be a sketchy thing, right? Yeah. And maybe that's because I watched TNG and it's just in me somewhere. Maybe it was just the way that they they kind of toned it, but it definitely was a delight that that went exactly according to plan and mm-hmm. our B team did not go according to like it there it almost like reversed no itself like it was so great they should have just stayed at home like they if they'd have stayed at home everything would have been fine very the lower text crew quickly work out that they can't transport to the cerritos they have to find a ship that's going to get them there and this takes them to a recreation of the first contact site in Bozeman Montana now, I love this so, so much because it's pulled directly out of um, the second TNG movie, First Contact. And this is just littered with First Contact references. It's so, so great. But I love that film so much. And like the score, the music, the First Contact music is so great. And they put it in this episode as well, like the swelling. Amazing. Da, 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 da. It's so, so great. Um, and obviously, it's from Cochrane. They get the same voice, the same actor they use his voice to voice the recreation of Cochrane as well. And like, there's this scene in the movie where, so Geordie and Riker end up on the flight 
as well with Cochrane to because the ship got damaged and obviously they're they're they're, they're going to help. And just as they're doing the countdown, Cochrane is like, "Wait, we can't leave. We have to stop." And Riker and Geordi are like, "Abort! Abort the mission. We got to stop." And he pulls out this green disc and puts on the music. And he's like, "Oh no, it's okay. I found my disc." And then he puts on the song. Oh, so that was like a nod to that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So so great. The vineyard scene at the beginning cracked so me great. up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely a nod to obviously Picard's vineyard, and Boimler is wearing the same outfit that Picard's brother, who manages the vineyard, wears. He's wearing exactly oh, the same thing, and he will like okay. taste the grapes and all of that. I, oh, I just no. love the twist that like. Yeah, his family has a vineyard, but they turn it into raisins. Like, instead of making something fun like wine, it's, yeah, we dry them out and ruin them. But then also at the same time, to have these <laughs> women just throwing themselves at my boim boim or whatever his name is, uh-huh. I I was really cracked. It kept, like, getting a little bit more ridiculous. And I'm like, okay, so this is a thing, whatever. And then it just just goes right over the edge of the horizon. And this <laughs> half nigga was like, I want to get naked with you. Yes. And he's just like, uh, what did he say? He was like, just spray off with the hose, Leanne. <laughs> yeah, spray it off with the like, hose, Leanne. They're just so <laughs> oblivious. Another thing that made me giddy was seeing the snowflake in the opening sequence. Oh, yes, that was great. I was going to, I knew it was coming. Um, because you did? I, yeah, well, I seen like a side-by-side picture because that scene evolves. So in the first series, there's only the Borg Cubes and the Romulans and the Cerritos. In season two, there's a pack-led ship that joins in the battle as well. And in season three, you've got the crystalline entity that's there as well, the big snowflake. And I was like, Which I recognized because you, tra- recognized it. you did that in Trekker Triction one day. And yes. I didn't believe you, but it was actually real. It's insane. What's going on? It's so great. <laughs> like, I wonder if she'll notice that it's that snowflake. Immediately. And immediately you're like, the snowflake, it's there. <laughs> so fun. I love it. So there was a couple of other references at the end. Um, a captain that you will recognize when I mention him. So Morgan Bateson, who was on the special mission with Tuvok to go to the Packleds and figure out what they were doing to entrap um, Captain Freeman. And Cap- Captain Bateson is the captain of the Bozeman that crashes into the Enterprise that causes the time loop. I am so sorry to disappoint you that I no. don't know who you're talking about. We remember the episode. We did cause and effect where the Enterprise keeps blowing up again and again and yeah, again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. So there's the ship that crashes into them. Yes. And eventually they prevent the ship from crashing into them. And I, it turns Yes, yeah. And it turns out that they've been in space. They think they've just left space dock a couple of weeks ago, but they've been in the loop for eighty years. Right. And so it's the, that captain. That captain. The captain of that ship. <laughs> so he's still alive and well. <laughs> still alive and well, twenty years um, what would it be? 25 years later? Yeah. Um, and now he's like in command of some secret ops team with two. That's Vox. incredible. I love that. That's so, much. so fun. That's so fun. What a I great love little that. Um, okay. <laughs> this week we are um, talking about season three, episode two of Star Trek Lower Decks, the least dangerous game. And we find ourselves with the crew of the, the Cerritos, the Lower Decks crew, enjoying a relaxing game of. Star Trek D&D with Martok. Um, <laughs> wow, what was that? That was a lot, sorry. I got very excited, we both did. Um, eventually, Boimler decides to rip off the plot from Yes Man, which is a movie where a negative person decides to say yes to everything, which leads to slightly more danger than Boimler anticipated. In the meantime, Beckett Mariner is continuing her training with um, Commander Ransom, who has decided... Ransom? 
Ransom. That's his name, Commander Ransom. Jeez. Jack Ransom. No. Um, yep. Well. No. Hey. Yeah, that's his name. No, his I didn't name. know that. That is so. <laughs> okay. 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 I'm alright. That's down. amazing. Jack. Um, I, feel, I feel like somebody just tried to break into my office. Call it Jack. Jack Ransom. Jansom. Jansom. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Um, in the meantime, Beckett, Mariner, and Ransom try to fix a space elevator. Um, uh, lift. Lift, but... Oh, space lift? What was it called? Yeah. An interstellar lift? What was it called? God. It was like an interspatial lift. They, it was... Propeller. It I was a know. thing. They, they yeah. named it something specific, and then that was the joke. We should Not really an elevator, exactly. Not an we elevator. Not an God. elevator. No. God damn it. Um, anyway, it's a gravity lift of some sort. And things go awry as Mariner fights against her urges to overrule Captain Jack. <laughs> Commander Captain Jack. Ransom. Whatever. Commander Ransom. Danae, mm. what did you think of the episode? Overall thoughts and feelings? Did you have a good time? Yes. This one was a little bit uh, of a little bit of a slower pace for me in general, which mm. I think is good because I feel like <laughs> <laughs> um, based on our conversation earlier, I'm like, mm, maybe these kind of episodes are needed where mm. you know nothing like super out of the ordinary happens all the twists and fun things like being hunted and what that meant mm -hmm. how the captain responded to being hunted those might be like really surprising things for someone to watch they mm -hmm. weren't surprising for me of course because how else would this be happening on us a, a spaceship you know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> people would be more concerned if if it were real or whatever um and then there just didn't seem to be a lot like so this episode has everybody like kind of in danger Mm -hmm. like literally could lose their lives danger, but there's this casualness about it. And that was evident in the first episode we watched from season one as well, which I think is really fun um, because these people are like super highly trained. And so they're like, oh, fuck meter is really messed up compared to my own. <laughs> yeah, this should be worrying. So, Why is it not? There's one plot where you've got some of the team that are going down to this, you know, um, uh, strange hippie free love but also mm -hmm. murderous colony it's the it's the classic star trek alien race that is okay. lovely and then goes wrong oh okay 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 so it's kind of playing on to its own that makes it sense is, it is referencing a specific episode that we'll of uh, course I'll get it into. is of okay course it is. <laughs> so you've got like that happening and you've got two members that are like in over their heads it's pretty evident from the start but there's also like this very genuine lack of concern about it mm -hmm. and so much so that when handsome, I'm going to call him handsome. Hey, when that he, works. Mm -hmm, um, he like is like, oh, no, you're fine. Go back in there. You're like, yeah, I guess that's also an option. And so there's this casualness to it where you don't really feel like things are in danger. And then you find out that there is danger. Uh, mm -hmm. And this did both of those in both sides. So then like back on the ship, um, Boim's being hunted and then also is absolutely stabbed uh, pretty badly at the end. Yeah. And it kind of reminded <laughs> me of the beginning of that very first season when oh, his leg gets cut into yeah. by mariner so it it definitely had all the notes of what i expect the show to be and i did have a good time for sure i'm quite happy for this episode because it was like a blood pressure soother i didn't have to like it wasn't quite as frenetic there was a bit of slowing down and just enjoying things as they happen and lower decks has a really great pace for going between these episodes that are hyperkinetic and hyperfrenetic and then Something that's a little bit more chilled that needs a little bit more character development. So there was a lot of character development here for Boimler, although I don't think anything will have ch changed when we go into the next episode. I think he'll still be the same. And yeah. um, Mariner fighting against, um, yeah, fighting against her urge to overrule. Like, what, what comes, what's more important to her? 
proving everyone wrong that she doesn't have to rebel or mm-hmm. proving that she still wants to rebel like which one which one wins out cuz she always kind of has to stay true to herself but yeah yeah this one showed us a little bit more about like again what the season or what the show in general is doing with the character arcs so clearly boimler is working on him not being a stick in the mud mm-hmm. and mariner is working on being more restrained so and that they come to the forefront this episode is about the two of them for sure yeah Man, this show just, like, never stops with the references. Um, my very first note was just a screaming, Martok! Because the Klingon that is um, running the D&D game um, is Chancellor Martok, who is a huge, huge character in Deep Space Nine. Oh, uh, okay. So he um, he's just, like, a really badass warrior. He's so, so great. And my next note was that the game itself is a reference to um it's like a few different star trek games so there was one that specifically like used to have these games that you'd put a dvd or a vhs in and they will talk along with you as you play through the game and it'll be pre-recorded and you have to pause Uh, it and it was um, clever it was really really clever but there's also specifically a klingon pc game where you're getting initiated into like the klingon empire and galron who also got a name check in this episode is the person that's speaking directly to you in that game as well. And it's like, come with me for glory. <laughs> and it's so, so great. Like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, they're doing the PC game. It's so great. I I should have known better because Ransom has not been tipped as a hugely intelligent individual. So I had hoped that this was going to be the plan all along. And he was waiting for her I was to rebel yeah. and say, there are times where you need to rebel and don't let yeah. my training squash that. But Does no, he just proved so. to be a dumbass the whole way through until he ex machinas the situation at the end. So, And I don't know if we can really sin that or if it's just in keeping with his character. Because to be fair, it's more on brand for his character to just be incompetent. But I do have issues with how he's the first officer on on, on a starship. But there we well, go. clearly he has some skills um, and some bustle tone, you know, this. Because yes. mm-hmm. he obviously was able to talk his way out of whatever the situation was, which I thought was another clever thing that the show did. So at the very end, when the engineers are struggling, they're in danger. And then he's like, yeah, we should go ahead and go on down there. Um, (laughs) He rips off his shirt, revealing his physique, which is very attractive to these people. And then he begins to negotiate with them about, uh, and and the show cuts away. It's like, but we're not going to show you this conversation before. Because you've seen it. Yeah, you've seen the A-team chats many, many times. Let's cut back over here. And that's refreshing. Although I am curious, he obviously has some set of skills with being able to do that because he was able to negotiate all of their survival. It's almost saying that like the stuff the A-team does is like, we've seen it so much in the last 50 years of Star Trek and it's almost like by the book and superficial. Like there is a playbook (laughs) for how you get through this. And the more interesting stuff is what the the B-team screws up. (laughs) Right. It's kind of like, so like eight, the, they're, um, you know, they're up like fixing pipes and they're like, did you remember to do this, this and this? Mm. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. And then they'll be like, hey, did you remember to do this, this and this with your negotiations? It's like this, they all have a play by a playbook that mm-hmm. they're both struggling with figuring yeah. out. I'm going to be the man that just points out the random references all day long. There was an excellent Bolian joke in this. Where <laughs> oh, the- yes, I got that one. <laughs> you, did you get that one? <laughs> yeah, oh, let, 100%. Let, I want to hear you talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Shit. Um, <laughs> so this, there was this reference. About what part was it, Adi, Ian? 
just to make sure that I'll, I... I'll, I'll remind you a little bit of it. You'll get it. This is yeah, at the be- yeah. near the beginning when Tendi comes out of the shower and they're talking about this captain that has been promoted super, super quick. Oh, yeah, Boimler yeah. Is that, jealous yes, of. yes. That was a great reference to a ship that is um have nope. has been referenced before. <laughs> nope. Uh, and uh, yeah, it sure has. <laughs> nope. You just don't remember it. Possible, but nope. <laughs> Sunflower ship. What was the name nope. of the ship? Nope. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. Oh, damn it. Um, I I need to write something down for predictions. Mm-hmm. You know, so you go ahead. You go mm-hmm. ahead. I, I've got good, something good. that just popped yep. into my mind for predictions. I'll take it from here. So there is a great joke where Boimler says that he, the, the captain that has been promoted very quickly, has stacked his entire bridge crew yes. with, with Bolians. And our immediate reaction to that is supposed to be, oh man, what a jerk, what an idiot. Bolians are the worst, because Bolians are kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. But Tendi then says, oh wow, that's so great, that's such a smart idea. And Boimler is like, I agree, isn't that awesome? And I immediately felt guilty, because I was like, oh no. Like, I was immediately thinking he's made a horrible mistake, and they're saying that Bolians are great, and they should be crewing the ship. And apparently I'm Star Trek racist. And that is such a subtle little joke Yikes. that the writer absolutely knew Oops. that we were going to get super judgmental and be Oopsie. like, oh, fucking Bolians, and then just turned it on its head and was like, ha, no, Bolians are cool, all right? Well, I have a prediction about the Bolians for later, mm. which is why I couldn't really go into that. So part. are you saying so. Bolians or Bolians? <laughs> bol, 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 like uh, that you eat out of. <laughs> uh, is it good? Nice. Um, my last I gotta work was- on it was just the ending with Martok where um, Boimler goes all in and goes up to the bar and demands blood why don't Martok is just like the bartender rips off your arm and kills you with it it is not an honourable death because you died by your own hand (laughs) what genius (laughs) dying by your own hand which is a Klingon (laughs) thing because you were beaten to death with your own hand it's so great oh my god you did not I die an honorable death it. because technically <laughs> you've died by your own hand. That's just clever writing. Just very, very clever. Writing. So, so clever. Mm-hmm. Um, love it, love it, love it. This is such a great outlet for a unique type of Star Trek writing that you're not going to get anywhere else. No Ambassador Danae this week. Either the Lint conversation actually pissed her off and she's making a Starship Lint a prize, mm-hmm. or um, she's still stuck in the transporter buffer. We will have to confirm exactly what happened to her next week, but she yes. will return yes. next week. Uh, before we get into reviewing Season 3, Episode 3 of Star Trek Lower Decks, this is an awesome time to ask, what do you think of this season of Lower Decks so far? I haven't seen a single episode of this show. You're a liar. You are a, li- a get-off-my-ship. I will make an entire new ship, but this is going to be made out of boogers. You're in charge of the USS Booger Prize. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll eat that up, man. Um, um, oh. So... I called the crossover before it was ever announced on this show. Uh, If you go back and listen, I was the one like, oh, these take place during the same time. How cool would it be if there was a a Strange New Worlds Lower Decks crossover where we saw the Lower Decks people in live action? I'm so excited. And I think that's been announced, right? Yeah, 100% announced. Oh, that's so excited. So so let me ask you you a question. Do you Mm -hmm. think like uh, Jack Quaid is going to 
play the real life Boimler? Are they going to find somebody that looks like? They've already confirmed that oh. the voice actors will be playing their own characters. All right. I mean, How that makes the most. It is makes that? the most sense. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Even though not all of them look exactly like their characters. No, not all of them. Um, they don't. But but yeah, that that makes especially the, most sense. The, the dolphins. The dolphins don't look <laughs> anything like <laughs> what what the, the dolphin uh-huh. characters look yeah. like. Yeah. Nope. That's um, true. I, that's why I don't think it's going to be the full crew. I think they will no, be no, no, quite no, no. selective, no, no. and there's going to be some. I'm, do you think it'll be more cameo, or do you think it'll be for a majority of an episode? Uh, no, I think it's a full crossover. You I think, think it's, it's like Arrowverse, full CW, love how it. they do it. I love, love it. it so much. Yeah. Um, my interesting thoughts is how will it? Are they going to address? I don't think they can. Are they? Are they going to address in Strange New Worlds that it's animated? Like when Strange New Worlds. Like, I was under the impression that Strange New Worlds, some of them would be animated and go into lower decks. But I don't know how meta they'll be about addressing, oh, hey, are we in a, like, everything everywhere all at once? Are we in an animated right. universe yeah. now? The, the, the problem with that is then you have to, you genuinely have to start talking about a different universe. You, yeah, no, correct. Other, uh, like, as, as soon as you are, and lower decks might be able to get, Strange New Worlds couldn't get away with that. No, lower, lower decks right. might be able to get away with that, but... I don't know how. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how you don't just break everybody's brain and, yeah. and I don't think make it mean to. nothing. So, in fact, the more I think about it, I think it's more likely that they'll just turn up in person and they just yeah. It, now, it's just crazy if they ignore it. No, I I should say I, if somebody can fact check and go back and see that con- like listen to that conversation and see mm. how it went. I have a tendency to take credit for things that that aren't my own. <laughs> so so it's very possible somebody else said this and I'm like yeah that was my idea because my brain does that sometimes. Uh-huh. Very I have a very arrogant brain in that way. Like if it's a good idea, I figure I I had it. I so, did that. I came up with that. Right. Yeah. At the minute, so, Danae is just screaming at him. <laughs> So this week, the crew of the Cerritos team up with another um, California-class ship to deal with a diplomatic snafu, or the aftermath of a diplomatic snafu between some survey team people and um, an alien species of rocks. And and shenanigans happen because they have stumbled across some crystals that bring your dreams, nightmares, and everything to life. Well, the rocks, the rocks are just uh, designed or exist to bring your uh, fantasies uh, to reality. But mm. then once they're broken, then mm-hmm. the other things happen. So. And other, other things happen mm-hmm. on top of that. Yes. So initial thoughts, feelings, emotions, enjoyability. What were your thoughts on this episode, Aaron? I, I love uh, everything about Lower Decks. Mm. I, I could watch any Lower Decks episode and have a good time. Because here's the thing, like, even if the, the plot or the story or whatever isn't, you know, making sense or <laughs> engaging to me. Which they know it isn't. <laughs> I, I am so, I, I'm just so enamored by the humor. And I just, you know, it's just a lot of fun. So I had a great time with it. Add to that the fact that I, I think it is, um, you know, a, a plot that's interesting and mm-hmm. and touches on, you know, things we've seen before. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I really, really enjoy this episode. It, it was kind of a bit calmer, a little bit like last week as well. It wasn't quite as a thousand miles an hour. It just feels like the show has really found its... Mm-hmm. found its groove it's found its oomph um it's yeah. just selling settling into almost like not having to prove itself and just come up with some original adventures mm-hmm. that are still very very familiar like a lot of this is like stuff we've seen it's almost like they get episodes from tng and tos and stuff and then just mm-hmm. take half from there half from there and then make something completely new so yeah, yeah. i i really really enjoyed it as well I think the biggest cameo this week was dr leah brahms did you remember leah brahms no no so 
I wonder if the, just mm-hmm. I can record that and I can just put it on a button. Oh, do you no, remember that? No, I, no, I no. just my my ref, no. my reference meter is low. So <laughs> yes, re- reference reference Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So Leah Brahms is the biggie one. So she appeared in two episodes of TNG, um, and this is the the lady that um, Rutherford um, imagines, and she mm-hmm. basically helped design the Enterprise D and helped to design the new warp core, and really kind of creepily. Um, Geordi creates a hologram of her to help him solve a problem and then kind of gets a bit jiggy with her. And then a couple of seasons later, the real Leah comes to help with a problem and finds his program of so, her. So that's a that's a direct reference then, the, like her being a fantasy to a... 100%. Okay. To an yeah, engineer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same. So she's An kind of, engineer with an eyepiece. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So she... It was really fun to see like a follow-up to that. And to get the same... I just love that they get the same actors back as well. I know mm-hmm. you probably... I wouldn't have known the voice necessarily it's very kind of there's nothing too unique about it but it's just it's a really really nice nod to bring everybody back but i think my favorite part was i think it's actually the tendy stuff which is interesting it's that defining the science officer as not just somebody that knows all of the science but has to be brave enough to stand up to the captain as well um yeah because the science officers always kind of get the they do get the short end of the stick they're kind of they have the answers, but the captain is always like, let's go, enough of the science, let's let's get on with it. It's interesting that's your favorite, like, I, the B-plot did nothing for me in this episode. Like, I, I again, I'm always going to enjoy myself, but that that plot line was really dry to me. Like, it, okay. was, the, it didn't seem to milk a ton of humor. A lot of the, the uh, situational stuff that they cut back to with that plot line didn't really make me laugh. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole fighting over the, the rock thing. I, it just it wasn't that funny to me like I don't like mm-hmm. it was just like I don't know I think it was supposed to be one of those things that got funnier the longer it went and I just mm. was it just never was funny to begin Didn't with to me. so um so that plot line was not my favorite but um but yeah I, I get what they were trying to do mm. there so no, and, that's, I, and that's probably why it's interesting to you because it's more kind of technical and detailed oriented. Yeah, it's um, the the rock thing didn't you know it didn't get me if I see what they were going for but it is just that idea that Spock is almost like the butt of the joke on the crew, even though he has the answers. And it's just that stereotype of the science officer. Uh, it's not just about science. It's about promoting science and saying, yeah, you right. want to shoot it with phases, but here's the actual solution and here's, here's the more complex stuff that we're looking at. And scientists, by stereotypical nature, aren't the most forward of people. Like maybe they're not as mm-hmm. forceful when they're more like kind of sitting in the background. So she has to find that balance of... Yeah, the science is right. I'm really confident about that, but being brave enough to push that forward. Uh, the wish me luck, wish me facts thing was interesting yes. to me. Oh, that's so good. I do that. I hate saying good luck. I hate it because I don't mean it. I don't want luck for you. I want success. So, so let's 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 uh, go ahead and mark off the bingo board. Aaron wants to have a deep philosophical yeah, conversation, <laughs> but the, the luck thing is an interesting one. As as a person of faith, when I grew up, like you know, learning. Uh, you know, how God related to the world and different things like that. We were taught not to say luck because there is no such thing as luck. Because if you have an omniscient, omnipotent God, Uh then everything is intentional. Everything everything is designed. And so you would say, you know, it literally had a teacher at my Christian high school who instead of good luck said providential good fortune. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to use that. (laughs) 
I, I both love and wish we had more of the big dragon creature that just appeared when they smashed all of the mm-hmm. um, all of the orbs initially, and there was that big, super colourful dragon. That's from the original, se- the animated series. Oh, because um, they just animate whatever the heck they want, so they use dragons quite a bit. Um, I think I believe it's a Kalkukan, 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 Macaulay Kalkukan. It's a Macaulay Kalkukan dragon. Yeah, okay. it's a Coca can or something like that. Uh, release, co- the Coca-Cola Coca-Cola can. Can. release the Coca Cola can. Release the Coca Cola can. Yeah, it's yeah. a Pepsi dragon. One of the things I, I I did think was interesting in a little bit meta, which this show has you know mm. done before, but the idea that the um, that their ship is well known for mm. for all their shenanigans yeah. and that that leads to them having kind of a competition to see who could you yeah. know do better or whatever um it's just it is really interesting to think of that the fact that so much is happening to them that the other parts of the the fleet are just like why are they always like how are they always <laughs> into stuff you yeah. know like asking that question they even said something like you're like the enterprise but for the cali class the cali class ships, ships yeah. or whatever and I'm just like, yeah, because the Enterprise would be the same way. It's like, how is the Enterprise always at the middle of all of this stuff? <laughs> always in these shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. So it is true. And it's because it's a TV show, Aaron. I don't know if you realized, but what? it would be quite dull um if we were following the ship that did nothing. What? I'm 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 this is a what show? I mean, I would love it to be a reality TV show, <laughs> but it's not, sadly. Man, I want that show. I want to live on the Enterprise. I don't know that I actually do want to live on the Enterprise, but I feel like I do. <laughs> Well, we we joined the crew of the Cerritos Burrito um, as the engine... Yeah, I stole it from you. I, I got there before you did. We joined them as the engineering team are absolutely exhausted from... She's got a, she's got a bottom lip out because I stole her burrito. Took line. my burrito. <laughs> yeah, I did. It's my first day back and you took my burrito. Uh, well, someone had to do it last week because Aaron was chucking out churros and, and something else. Were the churros from last episode? No, 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 oh, no. Okay. He said Cerritos, burritos. There was another food that he mentioned that I now can't think of. I mean, was it burrito-esque? Or no, was it like it completely random like a potato or something? Oh, okay. Potatoes? Potatoes? Anyway, we joined them as the engineering team are extremely exhausted from fixing the ship after some shenanigans with an artifact that turned the ship ancient. Um, and they are forced to go to a relaxation ship. Meanwhile, <laughs> our lower deckers tried to get into a lottery and tried to rig it so that they would get a new ship on one of the more prestigious decks. Um, trying Dirks. to the Dirks, trying to <laughs> beat the Delta shift people. Um, once you finished swirling around those decks in your mouth. What did you think of the episode? Overall overall thoughts and feelings. Oh my gosh. This one kind of gave me a few moments where I was uh, remembering what it was like to have to... Because like when they went to go for the new room, which the lottery for the new room, I was reminded of working at a call center where you were ranked by this algorithm of all of your ability to do your job and be there on time and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, then there was a lottery for who would get <laughs> the, the best shift. Yeah. Whenever it was like a shift thing, and I know it's the best room. Was triggered. Oh. I know, but for me, when uh-huh. I worked at the call center, it was like a, we had a lottery and like this whole ranking oh. thing for getting the best shift. Oh no! And so I'm watching this episode. I'm just like, oh god, just transported back in time. Um, well, but I actually like that about the episode because it reminded me that's what it's like when you're 
you know, in the trenches of a job like this. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed this episode quite a lot. Amazing. Now, yeah, this was a fun one. I really enjoyed it as well. I love <laughs> getting in the guts of the story. What? Go on. Especially, especially the when they went into the holiday. The holiday. I knew you would love that scene. Oh my God, that slayed me. There's so many things that happened that were just like, oh my God. <laughs> when she takes her shirt down to show her boob. Shanks is just like, will you put those away, Diane? <laughs> so funny it's so great i know it's so great like i didn't know that they were together did you know that they were together yes so there's an episode in season one i think it's season one or season two where um the entire crew like I, i can't remember exactly what happens but they all get drunk or something and basically like Shax and tana are just like naked and doing it just in the corridor and like boiler is naked in another room and we're like oh hey they're together and it kind of exposes that they're a couple and they are the sweetest couple like they're so great i liked that moment because it was like it's not like basically yes sure i like this whole fantasy fuck thing but at mm-hmm. the same time uh we need to talk about my feelings sometimes too <laughs> i know it was great i, I loved died. that, that we never unexpected. even talked about it <laughs> Another thing I liked about this episode was uh, the, the beginning. So there's this mask and there's mm, this just casualness mm, to it, mm, right? Where mm-hmm, like the our crew of misfits or whatever is so casually responding to, ah, it's a mask again. And then here comes Captain just like superhero floating through wearing mm-hmm. a mask. And as she passes by, the ship transforms into this old like ancient relic. Uh-huh, yeah. And the engineers eventually have to take it apart and they're all looking tired because they've had to like deal with mm-hmm. i guess the captain putting the mask on again because it's a recurring issue but i love that it reminded me of watching strange new worlds when it was transformed because of that being oh the D episode yeah with the, the elysium <laughs> yeah. kingdom whatever it is yeah yeah that's so. so fun so mm-hmm. that is uh unsurprisingly a direct reference to a tng episode oh. where the enter i think we've talked about it before but the enterprise finds this massive comet and then inside the comet is an asteroid uh, is an asteroid and then inside the asteroid is a meteor and inside the meteor is another comet no inside the comet is an artifact that's like a museum and when they interface with it it gradually starts turning objects on the enterprise into artifacts and eventually turns the entire ship into like a recreation of this ancient civilization and the idea is to preserve its civilization by turning another ship into an example of it. Um, And Data kind of gets possessed by the program as well. And like 10,000 people are inhabiting Data's mind. Um, And it's really, really cool. But it's like one of the most notorious episodes of TNG. Like people hate that episode for some reason. Because it was in season seven. Is it like Sex Candle episode? It's kind of that level of notoriety. But... It, I love it. I think it's such a fun episode, and Brent Spiner gets to really stretch the, his legs quite a bit. Um, mm. Yeah, it yeah, it's crazy. It's so 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 good, but people just like it for some reason. Then we go to this like super fun spa where it's all designed to help people to relax, and there's like a puppy room and a mud room and a beat stuff up room, and the engineers end up creating a device that will magically remove stress essentially. Yeah. And at the end, the person who runs the spa would not have a job. And so she demands that it just be yeeted out into space. I thought that was really <laughs> clever and fun. 
um, the idea that there's like these de-stress spaces yeah. in space to, kind of to kind of go to. Yeah, like yeah. mini vices that are, yeah, because it's stressful. It is stressful, but I love, but like watching the engineers, so like they're, they're doing this tour and the, she turns to her engineers to say like, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And they're all like disassembling a door because they can't stop working. It just, I loved it, it feels, so much. It feels so familiar. Like I'll bring my laptop around at the weekend and I was like, "What? Well, what are you doing? You workaholic? What are you doing? Well, just in case I have like a spare five just, minutes where I can like do some writing or something, it could happen. The other thing that was going on in this episode I really enjoyed was the race. So we've got our team that are trying to race to this one mm -hmm. console to uh, be able to rig this lottery for this new uh, new rooms, which mm -hmm. turns out to be one room instead of four. Yeah. Uh, so they're racing through the ship and we're getting to see all these fun parts of the ship that you mentioned, Ian. But then they also eventually run into the Delta crew yes. who they have a rivalry with. And they're having this kind of fun exchange. It turns out that the Delta are a bunch of assholes and they're, they backstab <laughs> them and they, you know, get on to do the thing. Did you notice how they all look exactly the same as each other? Yeah, as each other. Yeah, they're so all good. spitting images of each uh -huh. other, which is great. That was a nice but touch. They had this back and forth when we thought that they were all potentially bonding, where they're sharing these stories back and forth. That was really fun. Well, and even just our crew thinking about before the Delta crew showed up, they're thinking about what they would program the door to say to welcome someone else into the room. <laughs> and they're come, sort of come, come, come. That was just really I, fun, man. I, I I tried that at uni, and it just doesn't work if you're not a Star Trek nerd. So somebody would like I, we lived in like a shared house, and in my room, and somebody would knock on the door, and I'm like, come. And it was like, what? <laughs> Come in, it's fine. They would thought they, they would think that you're having a personal moment. Yes. And just, just, this yeah. is how I demand my partner. That's yes. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bad, bad time. That's yeah. why I just don't think that you should make the word come when you're let's just it's a you bad thing. You shouldn't recipe. make the word come? You oh, should make right, the sorry, door something else. The, the trigger for the door be that word. It the, should be the trigger? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, everything could pushes work them that over way. the threshold. Yeah. Yeah. Enter. <laughs> See again. That's yeah. I, I, that's what no. I was gonna say. Like, what's an alternative? But everything turns into kink. Yeah. Arrive. Yeah. All of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. No. Um, Open a little bit too much. Yeah, Maybe it's like a room. little too far. Yeah. Get in my room, which sounds like womb. <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> you could say you could actually program it to say oh, womb, no. and then it's but people would just say it to where people wouldn't know that you're saying room. <laughs> oh, come in my womb. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That scene at the holodeck was so incredible. It's so fun. I love the, the just they turn the like um, turn the safety protocols off, and then Boimler just has a bullet like just right in front of his <laughs> face. It's like, let's just move that up. Oh God, I I was not expecting that because she says uh, that the cat to Anna to Anna yeah says um, we can do the nasty on the counter while the hostages watch. <laughs> I know. It's so and great. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> That was a sentence that a cat just said. Love it. Let's say that this was the first episode oh that you introduced them to. Uh huh. This would, if this show is not appropriate for someone, it will happen in this somewhere because oh, yeah. there's mm -hmm. enough going on, whether it's like too much, too fast, too kinky, too forward, too silly. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many ways that Boiler should be dead in this episode. Ding. Like, there's if something's gonna bother you about the show that you can't watch it again, it's gonna maybe happen in this yeah. episode. If you have so a trigger, this is a good one to start. Yeah, exactly. This is a good one to to go for. Yeah. 
at the very beginning when the, it's showing the engineers are so stressed out and the captain's kind of yelling at the crew, mm. uh, the calm guy like turns around and slaps the security guy. <laughs> Billups. Yeah, the chief engineer. And then engineer. bursts into tears. <laughs> slaps him again. And, and Billups is like, just let it all out, buddy. And he just weakly reaches up and just slaps him. I died. It's, I absolutely died last night. Shanks just absolutely <laughs> takes it like a trooper. It's like, he reminds me of it's Wolf so, so much. Yeah. It's like, fine, I'll take it. Yeah, like, all right, whatever. It's just this like, <laughs> This was out of line, but just hit me again. It's fine. Honestly, that I related to that too. The stress of the engineers just yep. like falling apart and being like, I just did <laughs> Oh, great, more work. Let's go. I love it. I'm here. Let's go. Oh my god. Bam! Slap. So good. It's so great. I think that is everything. Oh, other than them getting naked. <laughs> oh, yes, to save. Uh-huh. Boimler. They weren't naked. Oh, they were nearly naked. Like just to take all our clothes off and make a rope. That's what you would do. I mean, if you were saving your friend, yeah. you would probably want to use your bra too, though. Because that's that's definitely one that could be used as like a whip and an anchor. That's got you like know, a whole two, extra like holster. Yeah, yeah, like there's extra stuff going on there. Yeah, I love I'm it. I'm not saying that I needed to see animated titties today. I'm just saying that this would have been an appropriate time to introduce them. Yeah. Nobody needs to, but anyway, we'll leave that there. Um, uh, That's a sin, actually. That's my first sin. What, that we didn't see animated? We didn't, we didn't see, see the cat titties. titties. We didn't see the animated titties. We didn't get any titties this episode. Weak. Absolutely weak. <laughs> Um, this week, we see Boimler and Mariner on recruitment duty on a random planet, because what else are we going to do with them this week? And most importantly, we see some threads unravel as Rutherford is possessed by... Himself. Some Damn it, just spoiled it. <laughs> possessed by a strange presence that may have secrets to his past. Overall thoughts and feelings, Ambassador. Let's first just talk about how you're like, spoiler, if you're listening to this show and you don't want to be spoiled, this isn't the show for you. This is a bad place. This is not a good place. I hold the suspense for a couple more minutes. A, a minute, moments, seconds. I wanted the reveal. I, I wanted to see, the big it. reveal. There we go, there we go. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, not my favorite show, um, episode, rather. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. tell me why. Was it too serious? Oh! Uh, I mean, it kind of got it got better for me uh, once mm -hmm. Boimler lost his shit. Then I was yes. like, okay, here we go. And then that was really, <laughs> really sort of at the towards the end, you know, like the mm -hmm. uh, the setup for the Rutherford reveal uh, for me. And this is probably because I haven't spent a lot of time with Rutherford, whom I'm calling Robotford. Um, I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. So I haven't spent a lot of time. You know, again, I missed. I only watched the first episode and then the mm -hmm. last episode of the what what season second was it season. second yeah. season so i missed entirely basically two entire seasons before starting this series so what i am lacking is a relationship with these characters outside mm -hmm. of essentially what i see week to week mm. so i feel like for those who have been watching this since season one this is a huge episode because there's more information finally being given for robotford however mm -hmm. for myself I'm like, get to the point. I'm I'd be interested to watch um, season one and season two with you because I don't know that it changed very much for me because he isn't a huge part of those seasons. Like there's some running gags where he will go on dates and be overachieving and whatnot. 
But the setup for him having hidden memories is literally in the finale of season two. Like, we don't know that there's anything wrong with him until then. Oh, so it, we interesting. Have, we've okay, okay. only been waiting for this since then. So, so really I, it hasn't been that much of a build-up then? No, not okay. at all. So I think you're just feeling whatever this episode was making you feel. I don't think it would have been improved by watching another two seasons. I feel like if I was to rewatch this, I might be able to pick up some more things that I enjoyed. And there is a lot mm-hmm. that I did enjoy about this one, but just my general thoughts and feelings, I wasn't mm. I wasn't as in on this one. What about you? Because this has had uh, the things I liked about this, I'm thinking you were like super amped about, which is all the references. I mean, this was just like yeah, someone like, threw up references. So man, there is not a a passing second or like side comment that can't be a reference. Um and all the ones you spotted, I think there'll be just as many that you missed. Um it, it's I, so the, the B plot with Mariner and Boimler didn't really do anything for me at all. And so that, I mean, that's in this instance. But overall, that was a little bit slow until Boimler exploded, which is kind of like the go-to thing is make Boimler explode to make something entertaining. Um, but the, the A plot with Rutherford, I really, really enjoyed. But I'm a sucker for picking up a hanging thread and developing some backstory and uh, an overarching thing. Uh, at the very end of this episode... Uh, my thoughts were really in my thoughts were really interesting uh, to mm. me and I can't kind of stop like my brain's just cycling yeah, through so it's Mariner and she receives this transmission from the ex Starfleet person who mm-hmm. left to kind of become a rogue archaeologist I think that essentially steals things from museums to return them to their planets if I was understanding that correctly to sell them back yeah exactly and make a profit so she's basically she's based on another character called vash um and i don't know why they didn't just use her because it's the same exact person minus the starfleet history so it, it was a very it was an interesting choice to not just use somebody we already know but hey create somebody new so she calls that, that that person calls mariner and essentially is like hey listen if you ever don't want to be in starfleet give me a call Mm. And Mariner saves her contact information rather than deleting it uh, and sort of glances to the back of the ship, watches the planet disappear as they go into warp. And I got the impression that Mariner would consider moving outside of Starfleet. Like maybe that is mm. a good move for her, just her kind personality. Of makes sense, doesn't it? It does. And what I love about that ending with the potential to leave Starfleet is, you know, this show, just like all Star Trek, is in its own world. It's in its own ass. And this episode is f- like forefront. We are in our own ass. And they are talking about like, you know, they have all of these aliens coming up and like questioning them, which is like showing, you know, all the different ways that Starfleet can and cannot be perceived, mm. et cetera, et cetera. There's conversations. The Boimler loses his shit, which is like probably my favorite part of this episode mm-hmm. and, you know, goes to the defense of it. So you're hearing maybe all the fandom fighting back and forth. This is like the forums on display in yes. one episode in a way. And yeah. this show is taking time to say we see all of this we are in our own ass we're in our own world we know it Mm -hmm. we're exploiting it in this new show we're getting laughs about it we're taking it seriously and we're also not and you know one might think this is a big ego but they put that aside and they bring this like storyline to the forefront that there's more besides starfleet and Mm -hmm. what's cool about that is that you know star trek it like it's doing what it does star trek has created this whole universe and there's Starfleet, and our story is firmly in Starfleet, and they're acknowledging that there's more, but yet they're going to stay in their lane because they do it well. 
my number one top longest note from this episode is that I love that it explored a that Starfleet is basically a military organization. Like we we kind of forget that and brush it under the carpet, but when they said, "Hey, look, you're just a veiled space navy," and like, yeah, it's basically the navy because it is the it is the armed force of authority that Earth and the Federation has. It has all of like it has the ranks of like the military as well. It is literally a military institution, but its primary goal is to explore space. But it spends a lot of its time defending instead of actually exploring. Like we fall into that. It's one of the things that Gene Roddenberry really pushed against was he wanted to focus from all I've heard, seen, read, whatever, focus on the space exploration start stuff and really butted against the battles, the wars, and all of that stuff, which is why Deep Space Nine was so controversial, because that wasn't about exploration. That is, stay put and defend a war. That's pretty much what Deep Space Nine ended up being. Um, and I love it. Like Star Trek can do all of those different things, but it's so cool that this episode says Starfleet isn't the only option. It's where, like you say, it's where we like to be. It's where we're comfortable. It's what we like to explore. But there are all of these other organizations. There are civilians doing it. There are archaeologists. There are freelancers. There's just mining consortiums. There's the collectors. Mm -hmm. And they all have all these of these boots. people. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, come join our cause. Come do it. Like Starfleet isn't the only option. I really, really liked that we're picking up on the rather the rather rather Robotford thing. Um, I didn't expect it to be like the dedicated episode like quite so early on i thought they may like trickle it in a little bit more but i think with like the 20 minute format they can't afford to do that too much so i think they're just hey this is when we're going to deal with this and then we'll pick it up a little bit later but um yeah i love that they picked it up i love that they handled it i love that he now has another mission to try and find out who this mystery starfleet officer um is the the seems to be behind his shenanigans so I, I mean i love a conspiracy and starfleet seems to be full of sketchy people doing sketchy things um so i really really enjoy that yeah it's like they didn't solve it but they gave a little bit more information they let the rutherford yep. know that he has an entire history that he forgot that there was some kind of an accident for something he was working on maybe for mm -hmm. someone else and then yeah, as probably. a cover-up they gave him an implant and wiped his memory mm -hmm. and we see shadowed figures they are starfleet because you can see the delta symbol on their on their mm -hmm. chest so it's an older uniform it was a way to kind of say this is more about you but but also disappear his past person entirely mm -hmm. so he can't access those memories he has to start over again and that's a clever writing way to know that his brain doesn't have that information anymore it's mm -hmm. also very convenient but it's oh, understandable one of my favorite more subtle references was that when Rutherford said that he's having the repeating nightmare and Tendy's like, oh, is this the one where Kirk and where, where you're in an alternate timeline with Kirk and Spock and they have a believable cinematic chemistry? So trolly. It's so trolly. That's what I mean by this show is like in on its own ass. Like oh, it and it's, I it's love it. totally fine with making fun of itself. And I really uh -huh. appreciate that. I love that so much because it's it's a it's a reference to the new Star Trek movies, which is Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto's Kirk and Spock, who do have better chemistry than Shatner and Nimoy because Nimoy and Shatner famously didn't get along very well. I I love that subtle reference to like he's dreaming about an alternate timeline that they shouldn't know about, which is oh man, that tickled me. I love it. The parasites that took over the animals, admirals, and crawled ah, into their the butt. butts. 
through the butts. So they were meant to be the big Those bad. Those are called butasites. Butasites. Parabuts? Nope. Um, they were <laughs> meant to be. <laughs> well, were the... there two people? I don't know. Because <laughs> oh, it would be a yeah. parabuts. Hang on. So Parallel... it would be a yeah. parabuts. So... I guess all parabuts. Parabuts. Because you have to have two cheeks. Yeah. Anyway, there's probably an alien with one single cheek. Oh, I guarantee there is. But then where's the? Never mind. Um, it down in the. T- they still have a taint still underneath. They still yeah, have a taint. Yeah, it's yeah, still there. yeah, okay. yeah. So they got the, like Good. the rounded ass cheek. Paratainterites, nice. <laughs> Ambassador, can you give us the plot synopsis? Okay, you dropped this on me the last second. <laughs> you and, volunteered. And you, you said I've got this, Captain. Yeah, I super got it. All right, so in this episode, we have so much happening. There's. People breaking into ships. There's people not breaking into ships. There's gambling happening. There's friendships being formed. There's uh, uh there's a people, the Kardashians. <laughs> no. Who? Uh, what are they? Cardassians. Uh, the Cardassians. But they're not in this episode. Oh, okay. There's this war. It was dominating, and the bad stuff happened with that. And now we're trying to be friendly, friendly, and we're bringing some alcohol. And for some reason, the burrito has to bring the alcohol when another ship can't, because it's got to go to a brown hole, which we all know is just a reference to a butthole. And it's supposed to be funny, and it really wasn't that funny to me. No. But we're not talking about the show. This is the synopsis part. <clears throat> Fuck. So then they all get together on Deep Space Nine, and. The g- people, not the Cardassians, but the other ones that are different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another gamma quadrant species that I can't remember the name of. Okay. Then why are you talking about the Cardassians at all? Because they built Deep Space Nine. So? And were all part of the Dominion War and stuff. They're the big bads. But, anyway, they, so Nine. these people show up, they got a bomb, uh, and, and shenanigans happen where the negotiations for peace don't negotiate peacefully. But thanks to... Plot conveniences, everything turns out just fine. And also, we got to face our friends. Welcome to Danae Describes an Episode Perfectly. <laughs> Danae was like kind of quiet through most of the episode while I was freaking out and loving all of it. If, until we oh got God. to like the second Mariner starts firing. She's just giggling, like giggling in the corner. And I'm like, you absolute sadist. Like, <laughs> this is this is why we struggle to make friends because you're just like, I'm going to face room. Yay. If, I mean, okay, so I had a couple of notes that were like, <laughs> yep. you don't you don't know what you're missing until you've seen Ian watch an episode oh, of Star man. Trek because he giggles like a little child. So it's like spaceships on screen, uh, space ports on screen, cool, um, like really interesting, like, I don't know, flights of ships on screen, different Mm -hmm, references mm -hmm. on screen, and he's giddy and giggling, and Mm -hmm. I'm just quiet, you know, I'm just watching or whatever. But when Mariner gets permission from her girlfriend to just be a total bitch and turn up her sass to level 10, I was so happy. I was, like, giddy. Genuinely and truly giddy. It's like, I, was, I think... You know, they're giggling like, <laughs> It was the best. It was absolutely the best part. Hold on, there was a quote. What did she uh-huh. say? That she was living out her dreams? Oh, what manifesting, did she say? manifesting her dreams or something? Actualizing, Actualizing her dreams. Actualizing her dreams. <laughs> I was dead. I, I was like, kind of coin flip. I was like, maybe Danae isn't going to enjoy this. And she's just losing her shit and giggling as all of these people are getting phasered. Because I think Mariner is actualizing your dreams. Like, I think you've been many times in a room filled with people that you're like, I could destroy them, but I don't like that person that I become when I destroy them. So I'm going to just sit in the corner and drink my tea. And really, you just want to phase the ball. I think she got on the table and she's like, everyone, shut the fuck up. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, yes! 
shoot the ceiling with a phaser. Claim your power. Just see what's on your mind. And if they can't deal with it, then that's all right. I Get guess. it. What about you? What was your favorite? I think I know your favorite oh, part. I. Yeah, and this is the problem. The episode didn't get better than this for me. That cold open is, I think, the best cold open I've ever seen to an episode. It just suckered me in, and it's not fair. So, I mean, because it's not just like the glory shot of, well, we have a mission and we've been redirected, so let's go to Deep Space Nine. Like, we all knew they were going to Deep Space Nine at, at some point, or like the nerds. Did we? The nerds. The did. nerds. Like, yeah. they, it was yeah. in the trailer and stuff. Oh, so okay, it's, okay. It's okay. Fine. If you were making notes, that's fine. Um, but it just, and then just the music started. The music bum 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 and then do 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 bum 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 Mm-hmm. It's it's an incredibly underrated theme tune. It's so great, and then the the like the the, the animated HD ness of Deep Space Nine is so so great. Oh my god, it's beautiful! It's beautiful, and then Shaq's just like slamming it immediately, just calling it because. So huh, huh, I'll explain the the Dominions and the Cardassians in a minute. It's fine, but right now. The, 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 hey, what are we going to do? Let's just let's just circle the pylons and look impressive while we're stalling to come aboard, and then they repeat the joke, and it's just it so him. funny. It's like, well, we've done our lap. What should we do? Keep going. Okay, Ba-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> it's such a slam on like just the opening credits, just being like, what are they doing? Just doing all of these glory shots of Deep Space Nine, and because like usually the openings are like really kinetic and you have the ship zooming about you can't do that on a stationary space station so like what do we do okay glory shots um it's such a great it's just docking porn either that or it's just moving docking porn is something very different it really is oh my goodness uh just a please do not google okay okay hold on a second hold on a second can we do like a really quick (laughs) note for editing yeah okay here's my note for editing for you can we insert some sort of like warning <laughs> that cuts in right then in the show and goes uh, like just something that's like an announcement maybe even as jeremy if he'll just record like cinemasins does not endorsing does not endorse googling talking porn no it does endorse docking porn but it doesn't endorse googling docking yeah. porn there we go like wouldn't that be so yeah, funny if it just like amazing. cut away yep. <laughs> <laughs> So the Dominion War was between like the the basically like the Bajorans who was like uh, Kira who was okay. the one in red. Oh we, yeah, we got to talk about that in Command of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, okay, yeah, Kira. I think I remember her. So she is in Deep Space Nine. She's one of the main characters, voiced by um, Nanar Visitor. Is she the one that's married to Tuvok? No, Odo. no, Odo. Yes, they don't get married, but they're oh, in a relationship. Odo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh no! Nope, that's not who I was thinking of. Because I I no remembered her face a little bit, uh-huh. but I never watched Deep Space Nine. So oh, okay, no, then you wouldn't. I mean, you know Odo, the security chief, I though, do the shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So basically, the 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 uh, Federation basically steps in and says, "Hey, Cardassians, you can't suppress the Bajorans anymore. You must leave." And they decide to leave. That combined with um, that combined with the Bajorans kind of kicking some butt and stuff, but. The Deep Space Nine was built by the Cardassians as a mining thing, but the Bajorans reclaimed it and with Starfleet decided to like kind of keep it. 
And then a wormhole suddenly opened and it brought all of this tourism and all of this money and stuff to Bajor. But then it also brought an evil race called the Dominion, who was like a conglomeration of the founders, the Jem'Hadar, and another race that I can't remember right now. That was good. And they, they came in and started like invading and shit, teamed up with the Cardassians, and then the Klingons joined in as well and became enemies no. of the Federation. And then oh, wait, no, no, the, the Klingons joined the Dominion? Yeah, the fuck? I know, right? Oh, how because, is feeling? Beca- because a a a shapeshifter pretended to be Gowron and redirected all of the Klingons to do bad stuff. But then eventually there was a big war. The Romulans joined in, and it's uh, fake. But, but which, then, which side? Like you said, that they joined. No, the in. Romulans joined us. Oh, the Romulans joined okay. our side. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. All right. So, but then yeah. eventually the Klingons rejoined us once they figured out the bad Gowron was bad, and then. Um, it all ended, and then Cisco jumped into the wormhole, and we haven't seen him since. All right, cool. Who's Cisco? Captain Cisco, Benjamin Cisco, played by Avery Brooks. He was the captain of Deep Space Nine, basically. Commander, then captain. Anyway, that's a potted history of Deep Space Nine. Did you actually enjoy it going in, <laughs> going in dry, going in without any any other knowledge of Deep Space Nine? <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> docking has ruined me. Uh, okay, well, do we need to take another like little break? <laughs> no. <clears throat> to answer your question, no, I don't think I needed to have seen anything on Deep Space Nine. Here's what was interesting: mm-hmm, when mm-hmm, the Kieran mm-hmm. person appeared, it did like the extra long second shot on that character, where with I was the like, reflection of the wormhole in the the window. Yes. Oh, it was so pretty. But because I was distracted by like, why are we seeing so much screen time of this person? Mm-hmm. I didn't notice this the wormhole. I was mm. like oh this must be someone important like yeah, this must uh-huh. be a cameo and yeah. i can hear the echoes of a thousand fans be like oh my god, <laughs> oh my god it's karen reese yes so clearly i'm gonna miss some things mm-hmm. but i knew who quark was yes. obviously which is quark kind of transcends all of deep yeah. space nine and star trek he's managed to appear everywhere like one of his franchises is in picard that's fun. Wait, did it's we really know cool. that? When they go to Stardust City, um, Stardust oh. City, and they do like the external shot, there's a big Quark's bar. I, I missed lost that. It. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. I totally missed that. No, see, Quark, I knew, and it's interesting to see Quark animated, and I did have a little bit of that moment. So I didn't know the theme music to Deep Space Nine, but bum, I knew bum, that. Bum, <laughs> but I knew that bum, you bum, were really excited bum, about it because you were bum, screaming. You were happily it's, screaming from across the room. It's so great. And I'm, I'm just like, we've been begging for a HD remaster of Deep Space Nine. It probably won't ever happen. This animated version of Deep Space Nine is the closest we're going to get to a HD version of it. And it's so pretty. It was really pretty. Yeah. So and that's the good. thing is, so there's things about it that are really pretty that I can appreciate. And I can even appreciate that there's characters I don't know because center screen are still the characters that I'm here to watch, mm-hmm. which is, you know, our yeah. haphazard crew doing what they're doing. And there's enough hap- happening on the burrito that was interesting for me this episode. Um, the stuff with Boim Boim wasn't really super interesting to me, except mm-hmm. for that I know that it played onto the, oh, what is the name of their race? The cork? The Frangi? The Frangi. Yeah. Like that they're really greedy. And so... Mm-hmm. That was kind of fun to see them play into the Fringy, like, uh, just their greed. greed and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so to see that kind of play out and that he was being really lucky. I didn't expect him to be lucky. I was expecting him to just. I have issues with, cat- with that. That's in my sinning. There's a big bit on like the double table. Like he's just done really well and he's not actually cheating. It just it was going well for him yeah. as he was gambling. And then to turn it all in at the end for like this you know, gift card to the store and then it comes out in like full Ferengi so gear. great. And he so, would have left the Latinum behind anyway oh, yeah. because like Starfleet don't need it. They don't need money. 
you know, the other thing, though, that I, I did find myself like um, genuinely enjoying was to see Quark animated because yes. there's something that they can't do in the live action, which is move his eyebrows. Right. Because oh, it's just like this, it's like this headpiece that sits still. Yeah. So when he's animated, all of a sudden he's like arching his brow and stuff. Oh, that's I and didn't I was even notice fascinated that. by it because there's expressions that we never got from yeah. our quirk. Like our quirk, it was just this big old mm -hmm. headpiece foam latex thing that they did. And maybe it moved a little bit. Mm. But for the actor to really express through eyebrows, yeah. it has to be such a specific application for those prosthetics. And I learned this by watching Face Off, uh, which mm. is one of my favorite reality oh, TV great. shows. Yeah. Um, and so for the the people underneath there to be able to like really animate and move their mm -hmm. eyebrows around. But that entire forehead piece is like one huge piece. Yeah. So to see Quark be extra animated was kind of delightful. That's so it interesting. Him... I need to rewatch it now. I didn't even think of that. Because like, Quark for that's me great. was always pretty deadpan. Oh, always. You know? Yeah, this is the most animated ha-ha we've ever seen. Him. But that's what I mean. Like, yeah. So it was a little jarring in a way mm. because I'm watching him like really express. Is that what Ferengis do? And he was ducking behind the bar when the when the race uh, shows up that's coming for like peace talks or whatever they're coming for. Mm -hmm. The race we can't remember because we didn't. I I, I, I think it's the, I think they're called the Karami. Okay, that's right. that sounds right. Yeah. So when the Karami show up, um, they end up, you know, pulling the curtain back and Quark has essentially stolen their technology to mm -hmm. create this replicator drink that he's yep. saying that he created. And so that's sort of like the big ha of the show kind of towards the end for Quark. Um, but like he's jumping behind the bar and like acting cowardly. And I was obsessed with watching his eyebrows. I don't know anything he said <laughs> because I was obsessed with watching his expression. Is that weird? Uh -huh. No, that's not weird. I just, I was the opposite. I think I was so locked in to being excited that um, we were hearing Armin Shimmerman talk again, who's the actor that plays Quark. I was so locked onto his voice that I didn't look at his face. So I didn't notice like the extra animation at all. That's so interesting. I'm yeah. really, I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch that now and have a look. That's it was so really great. great to hear the voice. So like you mentioned, yeah. and to think like that voice actor went mm -hmm. into the sound booth and put in the prosthetics into his you mouth. Hear, you can hear it. You can hear it through the teeth. Yeah, it's it's perfect. so great. Mike McMahon made a job. Somebody said a question. Did Armin have, did Armin wear the full Ferengi getup? And Mike McMahon is like, well, we didn't ask him to. He just turned up in it. <laughs> And why great. wouldn't you? He would. He like, absolutely would. You know every year for Halloween you're tempted. Absolutely. You know? Man, this episode like accelerated through so many. Like you have four stories plus squeezing in Deep Space Nine love as well. Like this might yeah. be the most ambitious um, episode that I've ever watched of Lower Decks because it could have traded on the glory shots of Deep Space Nine and a ton of cameos, but it was super restrained with the cameos. It gave Tendi a really meaningful story. Mariner and Boimler, less so, but good. fine. Yeah, it but doesn't good. need it doesn't to be need on to every be about angle. Them. Yeah. No. Um, and then a good little, like, classic Quark story of him, like, us wanting to think the best of him and him fucking up and then getting paid for it. Like, getting his comeuppance at the end. Like, that is a classic DS9 story. <laughs> what was his line at the end? Because Captain was like, uh, you know, you did come out on top because you're not in prison. Like, would you would you prefer to be <laughs> broke over in prison? He's like, no. no. <laughs> I love Tendi's storyline. I really, really did. I love the that she's the she's always bucking against the stereotype of Orions, and they specifically mentioned the female Orions as well because this is one of like one of the worst things about the original series was the lack of nuance when it came to how women were presented. I don't think. The original series did a good job by 
women for the most part. And the Orions are like a big part of that because they were the stereotypical green aliens with large breast tissue and dancing around and their pheromones would seduce men. And the male Orions would use this seducive-ness to trap people. And there was pretty like one Like sirens that was or it. something? Yeah, like sirens, exactly the same. And even the J.J. Abrams, like um, the first Star Trek movie, Kirk is sleeping with an Orion. And that's kind of the butt of the joke. So I love that Tendi is like, hey, some of us aren't even born with those pheromones. Like they're oh. a thing, but we don't all have them. And not every Just Orion is a pirate. Just the popular girls have the big boobs, okay? Fuck. Right. Um, but I, I love that so and I love that line of everything I learned about Orions I read in books not the good ones the, the ones one with, with the boobs, boobs on, on the, the cover, cover. <laughs> and it's so great I wonder what it would be like for me to go back and watch season one fully mm. season two fully because again I skipped over I would love the entirety that. of season yeah. two um, and wonder okay sure she's holding back pretty hard here but mm. if she has the skills to do these kinds of things why is she holding back in all of these previous yeah. episodes so I'm kind of curious if it's like how the other audience, so maybe, you know, you guys who have been watching all the seasons, does it feel like this isn't in line with her character or does it kind of usurp that she's been holding back? I don't it's know. like the, the, I could be misremembering because I haven't rewatched season one and two ahead of season three. So I'm like a year between each one. But for me, the best thing about season three is that they have given it to the side characters. Like they have really used it to develop Rutherford and Tendy and a little little bit more mariner and give her like the softer side of having a girlfriend and really dealing with her demons and stuff completely sidelined boimler like we're not doing anything with boimler at all for whatever reason this episode it just this entire season feels oh. like it's done nothing with boimler other than make him bold and, and that's it yeah and <laughs> um, the season one and two like i feel like rutherford and tendy took like a super back seat and it was all about boimler and mariner um, they were really front and center. So I don't know that you'd have, mm. you might find it even stranger because you're like, wow, where did these guys come from? But it's one of my favorite things. It really, like, I love focusing, especially on Tendi. Um, this week is, uh, the episode is a mathematically perfect redemption. Redemption? Is that the word? Is that the one? Hang on. Let me double check that. That sounds weird. Yep, no, that's what the title of the episode is, A math Mathematically Perfect Redemption. We find ourselves reunited with Peanut Hamper, which is a sentient exocomp um, who, I'm not going to say evil, but is independent and was... Self-centered. Yes, ejected from the show, I think, in season one. Um, and yeah, we reunite with them to see where they've been over the last two years and, and what happened as they discover a planet of what we believe are pre-warp pre birds and shenanigans ensue as she tries to find her place in the world. <laughs> Danae, we have a choice here. We can just dive into the episode or I can give you a brief history of exocomps. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the history of exocomps. So, Peanut Hamper appeared, I think, in season one, season two, it doesn't matter, but um, th that isn't the first time the exocomps have appeared. So, the exocomps are a TNG creature. Um, they they only appear in the one episode, and basically, there's this like um, this new fancy mine, um, this a laser drill thing that's going to extract all of this like super duper power source for this planet of aliens. And Starfleet are like really really invested in it, and they're like, hey, if this works, we're going to roll this out to a ton of planets. But there's tons and tons and tons of problems. So this genius scientist has invented this little AI robot with a built-in replicator that can get in and out of trouble, basically get into like the small places where nobody else can get into, 
diagnose the problem, replicate the nose piece to fix whatever they want and then get in and out of there so they're disposable they can just go in there get blown up it doesn't matter and they can fix any problem data is suspicious that they're actually sentient and that they're actually alive because they were he'd like they were commanded to return and refused and then realized that the problem they were asked to solve wasn't the right problem found the problem saved everybody and came out and then there was another problem where they were sent in and refused because it was too dangerous. So data is just like, we can't enslave these they have choice. creatures. They have a choice. They have free will. And um, basically, nobody believes data. And they agree to like stop using the exocomps, but they don't go any further with it. And there's this huge, huge, huge meltdown at the mine. And Geordi and Picard, I think, are on the station and they're stuck. The only <gasps> way to save them is to use the exocomps and Data refuses. <gasps> and he overrides everything. And he's just like, I'm not sending, I'm not going to sacrifice the exocomps for Picard and Geordi's life. Holy shit, uh -huh. Data. It's pretty big. And Riker loses his shit with Data. Well, and it's like, yeah. how I many mean, times has Geordi and Picard saved your life and you're going to not send these robots in on the hypothesis that they're alive. Um, but eventually, the exocomps decide. Like, Data's like, the only way oh. we can do this is if we ask them. And if they volunteer to help, then that's fine. And they volunteer to save Picard and Geordi. And one, two, one of them has to stay behind and chooses to stay behind to save the other two exocomps. It's so, so one of them dies and the other two survive and Picard and Geordi are, are safe. And it oh is like, it's God. such a great episode. And at the end, okay. like, Data and Picard have this heart to heart. And Picard's like, I understand why you did it. Holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> Us talking about this should have never been a choice. Like, that. this conversation uh -huh. had to happen. I had no <laughs> idea. It makes so much sense that they would have had this backstory of Exocomp because I've never seen. I mean, I don't, I don't stop and think about the technology and think, oh, this relates to something. Mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't even know that that was a possibility. I hadn't, I hadn't even perceived to think while mm -hmm. watching this episode that there could be history. Which why I don't know. Oh, I was and, just and watching that means it. it. Kind of worked. It worked well as an episode then. But I liked it. Yeah. Over the last fifteen years or something, there's obviously a lot more exocomps. They now can speak. They have universal translators built in as well. They are also being locked up. Uh-huh. Super because, sassy. Because, quote-unquote, shit's gone wrong with the exocomp experiment, and we have, like, an exocomp prison. Uh-huh. They're building up to something huge like, um, I, I, with those like guys. There's, like, uprising with the exocomps, but it's, like, man, it was... It's such a great episode, and it's such a great thing to call back to as well, because as soon as you make... Like, we're, like society in general we're close to like as soon as we develop an ai that realizes it doesn't need us we are in so much trouble like they're building up to something because they've not only introduced a new warp capable population mm -hmm. in this episode they've also introduced a major villain to their mm. entire universe and that major problem that they have is even just joking around about just pinging the Borg for fun. Oh my goodness, so absolutely they have, could. They have a problem on their hands uh -huh. and clearly something has happened before because Starfleet's just locking up these little, mm -hmm. you know, what are they called? Exo? Exocomps. Exocomps. Yeah. So it would be interesting if down the line this new warp capable uh, population ends up saving 
Starfleet mm-hmm. from the problem because they've set up this massive weapon. They clearly have that they have access well. to. But it would be really interesting, like just uh, like the. It would be very ironic if they cause trouble, and the solution to the trouble mm. is the community that rejected peanut technology. hamper. The peanut hamper forced back yeah. in play because of what peanut hamper. It would be very fitting. Essentially, this is a story of like there's lots of different story elements going on in this, but you've got like a community that doesn't want to change, that is kind of resisting change, and then is essentially uh, comes to terms that change which pro- would probably be good, and there's mm-hmm. there's positivities to change. And then they do change and then they're hurt. Mm-hmm. And so this is, and then you've also got the love conversations, but you know, under, under all of that is lower decks version of how to pull this episode off. And mm-hmm. I really like how they pull out something from TNG and like hyper-focus on an exocomp and say, oh, it's great. let's, let's answer a lot of people's questions about this item mm-hmm. in the Star, uh, this, this, the universe that has so many things that they could pick mm-hmm. from in the Star Trek world, we're going to choose exocomp and, I thought that it was a throwaway episode until we got about, I don't know, 10 minutes towards the end, maybe even five mm. minutes towards the end. And then it really started to pop for me. Like yeah. when this planet of owl creatures or whatever starts to engage with the technology, actually when the scavengers came to take the technology mm-hmm. and then they got on that ship and that ship went into space and started shooting stuff. I was like, now oh, I'm in. Shit. There like, we go. That was fun. That looked really cool and so pretty. Like their new, that new ship that looks like a bird, uh-huh. but it's not like the bird of prey. It's so it's like design. a new bird. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Kind of looks a little bit Romulan-y. But um, yeah, it's perfect design for them. And the weapons were so pretty. And the Serena yeah. just gets beaten up again. Like, I love the damage they show on the ship. Like, <laughs> they, they, really, they do that. They yeah, kick they the shit out of it. What Lower Decks does best for me, and that is picking up the hanging threads from all of Star Trek, because the best thing about TNG and Voyager is also the possibly the worst thing, and it's that bottle episode nature of everything. So the amount of aliens per week, technologies per week, disasters per week, there is so many things that could be picked up on where you meet a species that's like developing a technology, they they help... Um, something goes wrong they resolve it and never find that species again they never talk about that revolutionary application of that technology again and the Robodex is doing such a great job of picking up those references and saying so 15 years later where is that technology now what has happened to it how is it getting abused and now that we're in season three of its own show it's picking up on its own hanging threads so it's like this exocomp was just left flying in space because it refused to save the crew the titan came in saved the day and got them out of trouble and then we're all just like huh i wonder what happened to peanut hamper and if it was (laughs) the days of tng there's a good chance that it never gets picked up and we're just left to wonder where peanut hamper went but i love that they they pick up on it and revisits of what happened next and i I think they're going to do more of that the the ai that was next to peanut hamper at the very end of the episode the one where they're doing the zoom out and they said we're going to do horrible things together that ai is from another episode of lower decks i so was wondering they're gonna team up so that's voiced by jeffrey coombs who is combs jeffrey combs who is legendary in star trek he's played i think he's appeared there's Majel barrett roddenberry who is the ship's computer she's appeared in the most episodes and the most different franchises jeffrey combs is very close because he plays nandorian in enterprise um a ferengi and a vorta in deep space nine 
I think he play he definitely plays somebody in Voyager as well, and I think he appears in an episode of TNG. So he just turns up as like a different alien every now and again. He's so so great, and he voices this evil AI as well. So it was really really clever to put them together in the same place. Um, yeah, it's uh, I think we'll revisit them. Peanut Hamper is Peanut Hamper's a dick, an absolute asshole, and like <laughs> Peanut Hamper would be like maybe it's like certain people's spirit animal of star trek would be yeah. peanut hamper mm-hmm. you know that sort of idea that the the extreme ipsy within you becomes mm-hmm. some sort of a a character and i feel like P- peanut hamper is sort of the pure vitriol for starfleet vitriol mm. for starfleet yeah in inside a show that they yeah. can kind of justify being there mm-hmm. because sh- that thing just shits on everything well, especially it, as a machine like there's always that whenever you talk about this argument so like data data early on in tng has to defend that he is alive and he is he has rights and that starfleet can't just take him apart and study him to build more and they make the argument like okay well what if the ship's computer decided i don't want to compute anymore like what if a replicator said i don't want to replicate anymore like do we allow that to happen and it's that fine line like where do we say sentience is happening where do we say that they're alive and have self-will like can data leave starfleet like can he just say i quit i'm gonna go off and do something else and eventually they say yes he can but even like in the 24th century they're not ready to have that discussion of we've built this thing can it now refuse to do the thing we built it to do it's fascinating it's one of the best discussions in star trek because the ship's computer in particular is smarter than anything like it is very intelligent and we're using it to plot courses and stuff it's just that one step of self-awareness that it's missing the reason i love this episode is because it does follow the formula of some of the less popular star trek episodes so a little bit throwaway a little bit hey what's this tertiary character doing and it's inconsequential to the wider universe and it's like when we do a Lower Decks episode on The Next Generation, and it's just like, these people don't matter, there's an adventure happening, but we're focusing on the the other people, so it's kind of a bit throwaway. But for me, this fixes that in the last five minutes by mm. that awesome twist of Peanut Hamper being evil all along and sending the message, because I didn't see the twist coming. I thought, oh, we're going to show that they're, they're not evil all along and they're fine. But for them to be like evil through and through, like one dimensional, <laughs> just no, 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 self-serving. Like I do not care Super about the Super self-serving. I, and I think that's why it's evil is because there's no mm, room for other the other side. For anything. This is just, I'm going to be all about my own interests. And for a time, Starfleet was great because it got me away from my father. But now Starfleet wants me to do things I don't want to do. So I'm going to leave. And for me, it's saved by that last five minutes because it then makes it consequential. It makes like this, this, big this bad this villain that is probably going to come back again um this new species with uh new technology it it didn't just like end with a well all's well that ends well it's peanut hamper is now back in the in the world and you have to live with the consequences of what of what that means or what the exocomps are so i think it just fixed that throwaway episode thing by adding some stakes at the end another thing people might not like about this is that it doesn't have our main crew yeah i get that and, and people it's, often it's butt against that. when we do that they butt against it because it's like why am i watching lower decks if i'm not watching my favorite people but that's yeah. never really bugged me as much it used to bug me when i was younger i get it here's what i love about this they have the chance to do that the actors all get a break for whatever reason whether it's a 
technical thing like mm. scheduling just requires to do something different this episode. But also for someone like myself who didn't know peanut ham- hamper was a thing, it's mm. like, oh, like who is this? What? Yeah. Am- it's a it's an extra waste of time. Mm-hmm. Now knowing what I know, I love it even more. Because it's really digging into the history of Star Trek. And I don't want to repeat myself too much, but there are things to like about this and, yeah. and there are some things that to I not get why people have come down on, no, this wasn't for me. This is a departure. This was a miss. And other people are like, I love it. This is so clever. And I'm definitely in the this is clever camp. Is one of the things that you liked about this episode things like, so at the very beginning of this episode, Peanut Hamper says something like, "There, um, there's no way they're not going to scan for non-organic life. <laughs> no way that would happen. This episode is filled with kind of those because again, Peanut Hamper's character is the yeah. most nitpickiest asshole. Oh, it's absolutely sinning Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, and Starfleet. So, mm-hmm. as a fan, are you enjoying that that voice is in this episode really strongly? It's one of my favorite things about Lower Decks. I I absolutely love it. So, um, it's like sometimes it's not about the needs of the many. Sometimes it's about the needs of the me. <laughs> I love that because there's so much. One of my favorite lines was. Um, hey, th- why are you calling it a sky snake? If everything flies on this planet, wouldn't it just mm-hmm. be, a snake? be a snake? My universal yeah. translator can't make your language not dumb. Like because, because the immediate argument is, well, wouldn't aren't you blaming the translator for whatever word that bird said, translating it into sky snake? But if the translator is smart enough to still pick up that their word for sky was put in front of snake, it's so so clever. Like it's that the. This hard this show would be so hard to sin, and it is so hard to sin because it is constantly sinning itself in such a loving way. Um <laughs> so yeah, the Peanut Hamper would be excellent at cinema sins all day long. The title card was yes. changed. Yes, that was my How next thing. How unique was that? I loved it. And I can see why people didn't like it, maybe, but I love that you mess with the title cards and I'm all there. <laughs> like the music was more dramatic. Yeah, and, and kind of softer. Softer and it was shorter just to show us the journey of Peanut Hamper. Really, really clever time saving device as well to show that she's been floating around for, for a long time. There's something really important about um, consistency. Mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. storytelling it's because the audience yes then they trust you like there's a reason that at the beginning like with it, even in this show we tell you where the segments are because then you're mm-hmm. like oh i know where we are on the show and that gives you a sense of place yep. in the world and it, it's a very important part of us and being humans like we look for those codes and those patterns for survival same with entertainment we want to know where we're going so i can see how also changing that would immediately make portion of people uncomfortable mm-hmm. just instinctively might have not m- might not even know why but you're just like waiting for that sound that you know or you that are. visual cue that, that you know when you, yeah. yeah when you don't have it you're like what was that but for me i thought it was a really beautiful artistic expression i liked it and today we'll be talking about season three episode eight of lower decks which is crisis point two paradoxus in this episode of Lower decks. <laughs> Interdimensional cable. Yes. Rick and Morty. It really is. We um basically have an adventure happening in the holodeck that has been magically programmed to do magical things that the magical plot needs to have happen for magical character development and have magical fun. But what's really happening is Boimler has a double that's evil. Mariner probably is realizing she has friendships. Tendi wants to be captain. Rutherford, that's right, robot, robot guy? Mm-hmm. Robot man, yeah, robot boy. <clears throat> Turns out not to be a dick. 
And I think maybe they want us to wrestle with life and death slightly. All in under 20 minutes. The episode starts with just, it's such a great start. It's balls to the wall, exciting. Um, we get a new Romulan ship that looks like the fancy Romulan ships that are in uh, Nemesis, which is the last TNG movie, and there's your cold. And then the Wayfarer comes in, which is the Sovereign class ship, which is the end. That's what the Enterprise is, and it's what I have tattooed on my arm. And we got to see it animated, and it's on screen, and it looks so freaking badass. Like this show is so pretty. They do such a great job animating it, and the Cerritos looks incredible, and I loved it so so much. So did you like this episode? Mm, okay, that's the question, isn't it? Hmm. It had a very clear mission, which was to do a... You know what? No, I did like this episode. I really did. Because this did a... This entire episode was basically a send-up of Star Trek movies in general. So it kind of splits into two times. You have like the really thoughtful, thinky ones, and then the ones that are like super action-y. And that's where the, like, the kind of the A team and the B team are split and going off in different directions. And you have people that hate the direction that the movie is going and people that love the direction the movie is going, which is the Star Trek fandom. So I love it in that respect because it did, I think it managed to reference every single Star Trek movie. And we, we I can probably go through them as we go reference by reference, but... There was one that I was like, hi, it hasn't done that one yet. And then right at the end, I'm like, you son of a bitch. You managed to reference that one as well. So I, as a, like a 20 minute explanation of here's everything wrong and right with Star Trek movies. And like the line that sums it up Mar um, is when Mariner says, who cares if it's a bad movie? It's a movie about Starfleet and that's worth telling. And that's a great summary of Star Trek movies and why most Star Trek fans are just happy to have a Star Trek movie. They don't really care whether it's good or bad. We're just like, yay, Star Trek, let's go! Did you like it, Ambassador? No, and then yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like it more after my explanation? No, 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 no. It was during the watching of it. I So when this when it first started, it was like, I have there's nothing at stake here for me because we're inside of a simulation. And so... Not only that, but Boimler created it, so nothing is surprising for him. It, I mean, I'm, so like it kicks off, and it's going to be an adventure, and then it quickly shifts because he has to go for an evaluation, and we find out later he learns that his uh, he thinks his clone has died, at least if on official paper his clone dies, and so when he returns back to the what's the room called the holodeck, he is clearly like unwell and sad, and. At first, I think it's maybe he had a bad evaluation and maybe he's going to something bad is going to happen with work. I don't know. But he's like not into it at all. So not only is the person who created the mission not into it, I'm also not into it. And Mariner's not into it. So I was like, how long? How long can we all not be into it? Exactly. Yeah. The other people, Tendi and Rutherford, we get to see Tendi do the things that I didn't know if we were going to get to see her do it again, which is be this badass pirate, you know, what, what's her race again? Uh, she's an Orion. Yeah, so she's got this, like, history of being able to do these things, and we've seen it in previous episodes, and here she's applying her badassery to being a captain and realizing how strongly she wants to be taken seriously. And that was really fun, too, because this program was meant for Boimler to be captain, but now suddenly it's actually for Tendi. And... 
that's really when the episode shifted for me to be fun to kind of watch. Um, it's got the mystery at the end, which they make fun of. But this episode is so in on itself, which they usually are. But this is like super, super in on itself. It's making all of its own jokes. It's pointing out all of its own flaws to the point where I'm so glad we're not having to sin it. <laughs> First of all, I'm like, Phew, this isn't like a this isn't an assignment because it'd be really, really difficult uh, when they're so in on their own um, on their own inconsistencies or their own plot mechanics. And this is all about like writing a story and making fun of how you write a story. And I can handle that for so long, but after a while, it's like, okay, well, then what are we doing? Like, what is this episode if we're just going to be making fun of? So it's a lot of references. I think it's a fun ride overall, but it, um, it's to me, it was kind of a filler episode. Right. Let's quickly do Boimler's clone. <laughs> In Star Trek The Next Generation, as all things lead back to, um, there is an episode, and I should have saved this for Trek or Triction, where Riker returns to a planet that he'd visited on a previous starship to um, basically recover some logs that they left behind because there's only one window every, I think it's every 14 years or something, where they can beam down and do some science and shit. So it's been 14 years since they since he was last there. The Enterprise gets sent there to collect the logs. He beams down there and finds himself. But it's himself from 14 years ago because when they escaped the planet... He was duplicated, and a version of himself was left behind. How? Transporters. So the transporter left behind part of him? No, the transporter duplicated him. Why? Because transporters are murder machines, that's why. No, was it like a purposeful decision that oh, it no, no, made? No, no, no. It so, was an accident? No, so the thing that stops you from beaming up and down to the planet, that was starting to kick back up again, and it created some interference and split the transporter beam. So half the signal bounced back down to the planet and the other half made it up to the ship. But he's still a whole man? Still a whole man. Because the, the transport is just reconstituting you from what it knows. What is uh, happening? Transporters should never exist. They, on, You die. You enter oh, a transporter, but listen, you I really die. want one because it would make travel so much well, easier. Well, you wouldn't know any different. I wouldn't know, you how many... wouldn't know any different. But you would die and be remade. Every time. Every time. How, but how many... How many of me would there then be if they're duplicating everywhere? No, they're not. Just the one. Just the one on the yeah. specific Unless planet. Unless there's a freak planet accident. Which somewhere. is what happened with this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's left behind for 14 years. And because they have Riker, they don't look for him. So he's like, why didn't anybody come to find me? And they're just like, we, we had Riker. Like, you're fine. Um, so he's like got this big... I mean, I don't. they don't get into fisticuffs. They don't get into fisticuffs, thank goodness. Um, good. Is that is this not the right time for that? No, music? it's the right time. Oh, it's okay. just right next to me. <laughs> welcome to it my is, welcome to doing this show right beside me. It is in my face. <laughs> Usually, your mic like kind of zones that out for me, and nope, it's, it's in me. Um, and yeah, so the other Riker goes off into the world and eventually becomes evil. So last season, almost exactly the same thing happens. There's an accident where Boimler gets duplicated and his double is left on the Titan with Riker and just takes his place on there and um, our Boimler returns to the um, Soritos. And here we go. And I completely forgot he existed until he died in this episode. Okay, but he doesn't actually die, and there's like a secret organization. It's probably the same organization that Rutherford had his implant with. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds that that would make sense. And they have secret com badges. 
and how badly do I want one of those? You want one of the black gum badges? One of the dark ones? Yeah, of course you do. So section 31, really, really quick. They're like the secret police. They're really, really shady. They're like the Tao Shiar for the Romulans, but the Federation version of the Tao Shiar. So they do all of like the secret undercover shift shit. I'm sure that they are experimenting on the Rutherford stuff. And yeah, so now William is working for Section 31 and they have black com badges as introduced in... I think the black com badges were introduced in Discovery, I think. I'm not too sure. Okay, so in the future, we're going to have an episode where our Boimler accidentals his way into the mm-hmm. secret police. Oh, and he will love that. He will absolutely love being in Section 31. Well, I think he'll be fucking freaked out. Well, yeah, but he'll just be like geeking out a little bit as well. Like, I didn't think you guys were real, but you are. But then they would know that he's not the real Boimler. Who would? I'm sorry, and they would know oh, that he's not the it. clone Boimler. The I mean. clone Boimler. Yeah, got it. We got Sulu. Did you know that was going to happen nope. this episode? Oh, you got to Did be surprised. Happen. I was Yay. surprised. Finally, there's a cameo in the show, and I haven't been spoiled on it. Um, yeah, awesome cameo. Like, and a good, like a really good scene. Really, really so, powerful. Really so, good. essentially, uh, Boimler dies. <laughs> um, so, in the holodeck, he is sort of distraught that the, his holodeck created people lead him to a disappointing end <laughs> Surprise! And, and so he like climbs inside of this i don't know maybe it's like a condensed energy or something and it gets really hot you know and he dies or something um and is eventually resuscitated in the sick bay but his consciousness apparently <laughs> <laughs> created wandered off somewhere this moment where he is in a farm in where where was idaho it? idaho yeah. with where kirk was supposed to be i don't know yeah. explain this to me because i'm sure it's mm-hmm. a reference to a reference to the things, oh, it is. And the, and the things so when i said that there was one movie they hadn't like referenced yet it was generations and i was like you son of a bitch so generations oh man they had to find a way to get picard and kirk to play together and so they created this thing called the nexus and it's a thing that the bad guy is trying to get back to because it shows you a dream world where you can live wherever you want to live. Um, but the only way to get there is that he has to kill a ton of planets to adjust the course. He has to kill a ton of suns to adjust the course of the Nexus to intersect with a planet, but it will blow up that planet, and that's what they're trying to stop. So anyway, Picard gets sucked into the Nexus, and so does Kirk at some point, and they meet. And where they meet is on... There is no fighting. There is no fighting between Kirk and Picard. Well, there is, but no, like, fisticuffs. Um, and they meet on... For those of you at home, he has now said fisticuffs at least 12 times. Fifticuffs. <laughs> fifticuffs? <laughs> that too. Fifticuffs. Um, so, yeah, where Picard meets Kirk is on this farm barnyard thing in Idaho where um, Kirk is happily with his girlfriend or something like that. And, yeah, that that's what that is. So it's a reference to Generations. So obviously we go up to this barn and it says Kirk on the box and we're like, we're going to get a Shatner cameo. And I was like, I kind of don't want a Shatner cameo. And it was perfect because Boimler thinks he's going to get Kirk as well. Sulu turns up and he's like, oh, much better. It's Sulu. I was like, oh, the shade. Was all that happening in one holodeck? Uh, yes. Do you want me to explain how holodecks work? <laughs> Can you? Yeah. Is it just like, create some sort of like a because they're not like the biggest rooms nope and they're in like completely different mm-hmm. realities within mm-hmm. the room 
Okay, okay, go on. You look incredibly I'm confident. I'm bursting. So it's all solved by... Drugs. Drugs. Drugs would, de- drugs. Drugs would definitely help. Um, if I tell you that the floor moves, that will help, hopefully. No, it doesn't help. So while that you, sounds terrifying. While you think you're moving, you're not. It gives you the illusion that you're moving. So the floor moves beneath you with every step that you take which means that you can walk 100 miles and never leave the spot that you're standing on. But, wait. And then all it all it does is project the... Uh, it, whatever's in front of you, it projects that all around you and then changes the projection around you based on which direction you're walking. Uh, okay, 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 okay. So, so uh, does it, like, change the how gravity works in the room? It can. Just, like, so when, like, when Teddy's on a bike, for example, mm-hmm. she's just sitting still. Mm-hmm. But she's in the air. Yep. And she's grabbing nothing. Um, no, because it has physicality. You can you can touch things, so you'll be on a physical bike. So is a replicator in there too? There's a replicator in there. So holodecks. Oh are, my god, this is so dangerous. <laughs> so dangerous. Holodecks are transporters mixed with replicators. So all the people that are replicated mm-hmm. into the holodeck mm-hmm. yep. are real? Nope. Well, that's a debate. That's a debate because I mean, you can physically touch them, but they're light that's given physical form by force fields. But they're replicated. In, but they're replicated. Mm-hmm. So the only, I mean, real. This table is real. Doesn't make it alive. When it gets sentience and intelligence, then it's alive. So it's all real. They're just not real people because they have no brain. They just have a a, com- program. a basic program that's telling them how to react in certain I think situations. Data would have something to say about that. Data is a more complex brain. He's not just a input-output thing. Although all of us are, to some extent. Uh, this week we will be watching Season 3, Episode 9 of Star Trek Lower Decks, which is called Trusted Sources. Um, the crew of the Cerritos is on a mission that is apparently a new mission called Operation Swing By, which is oddly similar to what their original mission actually already was to check in and do second contact with species that have been first contacted and abandoned for some reason um with the slight rub of the federation news network a reporter from them is coming to observe and interview people and um the ship has to be held together with lies and blue tack um until a secret lies upon one of the two planets with which they are visiting to whom Eventually, Mariner leaves the ship. So, wow. overall thoughts that and feelings. That sounded like a Danae recap right there. It really there. did. I was channeling Danae. I really was. Oh, were you? <laughs> yeah. Initial thoughts and feelings, Danae. How did you like the episode? Um, I don't know. This one was difficult for me. For I feel like I feel like it was a very disjointed episode mm-hmm. in, an, in an interesting way, right? Like where we have a forced tension. This is the third act cliche of a season is what's <laughs> yes, happening. It really is. Yes. So we we suddenly have Ding. a lot of tension that happens as we kick into the next few episodes that'll probably drive the rest of the season. And this is definitely an episode where we're going we're really digging back into the relationship where I feel like they're going back in to highlight the discomfort between the mother and the daughter, um, which was sort of I, I remember when we watched that first episode, it was like, oh, we're this is a theme that we're going to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really haven't. So I'm not surprised to see it here on screen and i'm not surprised that 
Mariner kind of needs her little, you know, her little arc that's like, I'm good, guys, uh, because mm-hmm. everybody, including myself, for a split second, believed that she was up to no good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she started some trouble in the neighborhood. Uh, she got in that one little fight, and her mom yeah. got scared. Her mom did you know? get scared. Yeah. And then she was moving with her auntie and uncle to, to uh, space Right. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that something was wrong. There was two. There's two times, and they're definitely sin. So I hopefully will just skip over them yeah. later. Uh, where there is somebody that's in command who can hear or see Mariner potentially doing something she's not supposed to. Everybody knows she's not supposed to talk to the reporter. They either hear her say that she's going to go talk to the reporter, or they see her go talk to the reporter, and they don't stop it from happening. Which tells mm. me that the story needs her to talk to the reporter. And it's like, okay, why is that? Mm-hmm. So that's my first kind of like mm-hmm. something's not you know. So they're doing something here. Um, but yeah, basically the moment that everybody started shunning her, uh, like as soon as she walks out, everybody was shunning her. I was like, oh, she didn't actually say anything. It was pretty clear because they wouldn't turn everybody against exactly. her and like as that. As soon as yeah. it goes like a hundred percent the opposite direction, you're like, this is two one note. Therefore, there must be something else to it. So as soon as she got in there and wasn't even allowed to speak or explain, I was like, everyone is so yeah. deep into this. They're going. The only thing that happens next is that they all have egg on their face because she was the only one that mm-hmm. was saying nice things. All of the stories were coming from everyone else who was also there and was also present. So, like, the first planet is fine. They don't need any help. The second planet needs help, but it's been invaded by this species I'm not familiar with. I know you mm-hmm. are. Um, but they don't really even go back to it and revisit it or address it or anything. And so <laughs> it just kind of felt like. Wait, what was the purpose of this episode? And the purpose of this episode for the season is probably getting Mariner off the ship and going the archaeologist kind of route, which we thought was going to happen oh, whenever yeah. we saw that episode. Uh-huh. Totally so that was sense. kind of, yeah, I remember being like, man, to, to give the characters a chance to do something outside of Starfleet mm. was really cool. And to have them actually do that within the season is even cooler because yeah. it means that they're not afraid of making that choice quickly which is awesome yeah. i love and it that it really fits mariner as well like it does i hope there's she's only happy. so much you can say i hate starfleet and i don't want to be here before you actually go and do something about it because there are millions of options yeah. of what you can do it doesn't have to be the military tendy and rutherford are getting some good arcs that i'm seeing yeah. mariner's arc hasn't moved for the last well this entire season i don't think boimler's arc has moved a little bit where he's being bold boimler but He's taking such a back seat in almost every episode that we're not really seeing we're not really seeing that kind of come to fruition or mean anything day to day. So I'm just I think I'm feeling a little bit stagnant, um, a little bit where are these people going and mm-hmm. how long do I stay invested in the characters as much as I love seeing them each week, I'm not seeing them do anything. That's the that's the crux that I'm in is this is setting the stage for change. So they've taken Mariner off the ship. They've put her in a position where she's either going to enjoy it or she's going to find something that she doesn't like about it because it needs Starfleet structure. Realize that there's a Starfleet structure she's de- like she's designed to enjoy. Go back mm. into it. Be welcomed with open arms. Save the day. And then what happens after that? Like, it, is the we crew have another be argument going... and she ends up in the break again. Like, are we I just going to keep staying in this loop? I feel like it's a time for the show to grow through into when they're in command because mm-hmm. they're clearly... And this is weird, right? Because, because we're watching the show's them. Called Lower Decks. It's called Lower Decks, but like we're seeing these people that are clearly designed for that like leadership at this point. They're mm. they're really good together. So when do we get to see them not just go on like haphazard adventures and lead their way amongst each other, but can mm. they lead a crew? And is the show going to move them into that position and then bring in a new Lower Decks crew for us to enjoy? That would be I... really smart. 
really, really interesting that they revisit the planet um, Anara and Brecker with the Felicium and whatnot. Because we've talked about this episode on the show. Did you like, did that twig? Yeah. So oh, I didn't awesome. re- I didn't recognize the words right away, but when they started mm. to tell the story of the two planets where one of them had like so provided a up. drug and gotten like really addicted and then like essentially they broke the addiction and left. Mm-hmm. That was really I'm like, what a fun planet it's to revisit. Wild. What is happening, yeah. you know, in here? And for them to have found their new addiction of fitness was very interesting. So, I wondered if we were gonna dig into that and like go on a weird journey, but they popped uh-huh. out and went to the neighboring planet, which I'm glad they did. But it looks like that planet was completely obliterated by a an, an entire like bad guy species. I didn't remember. Yeah, Br- the breen. The breen, breen. Not the cheese. The breen. Um, so, so much to, so, so, so much to unpack there. It is one of the classic episodes of TNG where the debate is, fuck you, Picard. Like, that is a unbelievably fucked up thing you did. You have no idea if this is going to turn out great or not. So what, what a perfect thing to revisit that they didn't revisit in this episode. Like, they gave it, and it's such a, it's, I love this idea, but they just gave it lip service and moved on as if it was a punchline. When I want to know more. Because the for that, anybody who hasn't seen that episode of TNG, there are two planets that have the same species that have evolved together. They have this symbiotic relationship where one has this horrible, horrible disease and the cure for the disease is on the sister planet. But it turns out that they cured the disease ages ago, but because the other planet's economy depends on providing this drug, they've pretended that if they pretended that the withdrawal symptoms are the disease itself so they've perfected this drug so so much that if they're off it for like a day they'll start getting withdrawal so they think they're dependent Picard sweeps in finds out and refuses to repair their ships which means that they technically aren't getting involved in breaking the prime directive but they're stopping the drugs from getting to the planet that's being abused the big question there is that you've got the planet that is dependent on the drug will go through horrible withdrawal and whatever that comes with the other thing is that he is crippling the economy of another planet who now has devoted their entire planet's resources to making this drug that they can't sell to anybody and what does that mean and it looks like that planet fell into chaos and left them open to be invaded by the breen um i really hope that we get back to that and that we see what the breen how the Breen managed to do that. Are the Breckians okay? Because Picard has got some answering to do. So so they go to from the first planet to the second planet mm. to see if there's more interesting things happening because they're trying to launch this program for that the Cerritos is essentially like testing out the revisiting of for second contact yeah, and making it more by. of a protocol. Swing the swing the by, swing yeah. Thing? Yeah. I and have so some the first, issues with that. <laughs> yeah. So the first planet is like, yeah, we don't really need to swing by. See you later. And so they go to the second planet because they're really wanting to get this um, program off the ground. Right. And so they mm-hmm. go over there. The Breen have annihilated essentially the entire planet. And maybe the last living person is outed by the ransom guy mm-hmm. who finds him in an alley. Yeah. And then the bad guy Breen murders <laughs> them. Yeah in front of our very eyes um and then they zap back to the ship in an emergency beam situation Mm -hmm. and when they get back to the ship they're saved by a new ship Mm -hmm. okay so this new ship zooms in turns out it's an automated ship there's no life Mm -hmm. form on board i really want to hear your thoughts about this part i thought were you freaking out it looked really cool oh it's really really, i have loads and loads of thoughts yeah yeah so 
And then when the guy in charge of the like the programs of the admiral yeah. person, when he comes on screen, he instead of being concerned about the Breen, he's like, check out this new <laughs> ship we made. Look at it. It's so pretty. We can tell you about it now. And I think that's part of why I found this episode jarring. It's like, are we not concerned about the death of an entire planet? Are we yeah. looking for more life forms on there? Because the show pivots so quickly into pretty new ship and yeah. Mariner is gone. It's and kind it's of like, like, hey, don't whoa, look over whoa, whoa, here, look whoa, over wait. here. We yeah. we actually want to know what happened to the people, especially those who are like yourself, are really interested in the storyline from Next Generation. It's like we had some things that we wanted to take off this episode and didn't have a way to tie them all together. Like, we want to go to Anara and do the Felicium stuff. We want the Breen. We want the new ship. And we want Beckett off of the ship. And then just did all of those things in the episode with not a great way to thread them all together. I think my favorite part is the the new ship showing up because it's fun to see a new ship. The space battle was fun, but that's not surprising because I always like the space battles when they pop up on screen. Um, and of course, I thought I, I'm glad to see some momentum with the breaking up of the the characters because that tells me that they're going to be doing some stuff with the structure. That does excite me. It's just amazing to me that we're still talking about drones in the future and like automated ships, like. If that decision hasn't been made by 2390, it's never being made and it's never happening. Like, the automated, of course that's the easier way to do it. It's safer, it's more cost-effective, everything should be unmanned. But us as humans like to be out there, and we like to actually see things and touch things and invade them and, and breach the Prime Directive with them as much as possible. <laughs> wow. So I guess I'm just amazed that... This drone ship hasn't already happened, and I'm interested to see what the motivation to do it now is. Like, was it because of the Dominion War? Like, why do we now need unpersoned ships? But hey, it looked cool. I can answer that for you. Go for it. Reasons. Good. You're welcome! Right. Well, we are here for the season finale of season three of Lower Decks. The starry... Damn it. <laughs> Get the title right. The Stars at Night. Danae, this is a great time to ask overall thoughts and feelings about the season. How have you enjoyed it? And this is mm. your introduction to Love at X. Mm. Yeah, I love the show. This is a great, mm. um, this is a really, really great outlet for Star Trek fans. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. And I think it's also a good welcome to people who don't watch Star Trek because there's enough in this that stands on its own. Although it is incredibly self-referential, which, mm -hmm. uh, but I think for the most part, every time that's happened, it hasn't, for me, like handicapped the show itself. After last week's antics and the um, kind of failure of the drive-by initiative, what was it? Second swing? Second swing, swing for by? space. Yeah, the swing, wait. The, the swing around, some, the nope. reach around. The, nope, they are all other things, all other things. After the failure of um, Captain Freeman's new initiative, the Sveritos is called back to a generic style base for a debriefing and a slap on the wrist as the California-class ships are all being shelved in favour of the new uh, Texas-class unpersoned starship. Captain Freeman um, challenges Captain Buenamigo to a second contact race in order to prove that the California class still has something to contribute to Starfleet. And shenanigans ensue and everyone loses control of the Texas class starships. Battle commences. Big time battle. Will they survive? 
No, I mean, many people don't. It's really interesting to do a plot summary without spoilers, even though we've already seen it. Why would you? Why would you oh, not want to? Like, like, just pacing. Just pacing. Okay, okay. In so, this episode, shit blows up. People die. Bad guy reveals himself, and we save the day. Ships show up. Ships explode. <laughs> ship down. Ship. Ship it out, and ship it out of here. And the most important thing, we have a warp core ejection. Yeah, we do. Eject that warp core. <laughs> right. Okay. Overall thoughts and feelings. What did you think of the episode, Ambassador? Okay, if you don't like a fast-paced episode that just shoves it all <laughs> down your throat, then this is not the finale like for a you. Muffin in a Halloween basket. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is like the quintessential "you're on a ship having an adventure" episode, though, yeah. and I feel like I needed something like this. Mm. It made fun of itself. It had a lot of references to like, there's this moment in this episode where they're trying to problem solve how to do something and they're running through all these different scenarios, including ejecting the warp core. And I just had this feeling that every Star Trek nerd was going to be enjoying it because they're like, we can't do that because like I don't know. There's like all these different options. It sounded like it's all these options that you've seen many, many times on many, many episodes mm-hmm. to solve many, many problems. I think one of them was something about like confusing the AI's algorithm and um that's the standard isn't it get it in, get it trapped in a logic puzzle where it has yeah. to flush itself down the toilet yeah and then rutherford said something about like no 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 i, I calculated out like idiosyncrasies or something i can't remember what he said but it, this it, this was a it was a oh, fast-paced paradoxes. episode because we it did but it did everything we thought it was going to do and it confirmed many of my theories so i was enjoying it because i was like check got that check got that check got that um I mean, was it a little bit disappointing because it did a lot of things I expected to do? Maybe. Mm. Uh, this episode ends with Mariner back on the ship with really no uh, tie into the next season. I predicted no. before the episode started that we were going to have Rutherford be the main person, and it yeah, kind of was. Yeah. And I predicted that the bad guy was going to be revealed, and they were. But what I was wrong about is I thought that would carry over and be sort of a motivational factor for season four. And instead, mm. they just murder the Admiral. He's just yeah. dead now. They kind of just wrapped up everything this episode. I mean, quick. I think I'm beginning to get oversaturated on, and I never thought I would say this, on phases <laughs> and space battles and explosions and the Cerritos getting blown up. Like there is a genuine pacing thing <laughs> where if you do it every episode, you get desensitized to it. It's like, yeah, the, the kid might be asking for all of the candy and all of the things, but as soon as they have all of the things, they don't want it anymore. So we we there is something to be said for drip feeding us action scenes and excitement. Having said that, I had tons of fun in this episode. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, yes, it is confusing to me that they resolved so much so quickly. They but did. It was a very quick resolve. It is It is interesting. Like they're, they're fighting this line between being serialized and episodic, and they're leaning more towards episodic, and I think that's the right thing to do for this show. But yeah, man, they wrapped up. They didn't leave much. No, I'm, no I'm, they have left a huge thing for season four, and I think it's pretty clear where they're going in season four it's the most sinful part of the show and it's also the best part for me all of the cali class ships turning up it is hilarious boimler just naming naming (laughs) naming 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 them (laughs) it was the joke that got funnier the longer it went on he's just naming cities in california yeah Um, i really enjoyed that one uh that moment but then my i have questions about how that works questions so many questions um uh, one specific contradicting question about the titan as well which was hilarious um but i love that like 
that is what this show does really, really well. It knows exactly how to give fans tingles. Like it knows the things that are going that to put on screen that are going to make it tingly. Like this is a classic way to end a Star Trek episode. The ship is outnumbered. It's absolutely going to get blown up until boom, 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 warp travel exists. So you have all of the ships turn up to save the day. Um, and it was just so much fun to have every single California class ship on screen, all of the names, the models, the the models that are going to come from that, I hope, um, is really, really, really cool. I I love seeing all of the different crews. There was the crew that was the entire Bolian, entirely staffed of Bolians, which was referenced earlier in the season Yeah, I I remembered that, yeah. Really, really, really cool. Um, So yeah, I love that so much. The part that I smile the most at is is the battle scene at the end. It was so Mm. pretty to look at. Um, it was the the ejecting the warp core. Ah, there there it is. It's the that guy. Who is that guy? What's his name? The Shax. Shax. Yeah. It, when he finally gets to, to eject a warp core, maybe this has been a recurring joke for two seasons. I'm missing out on. I'm not sure, but oh yeah, his advice is <laughs> so when they're doing the list of we should do yeah. this, we should do this, we should do this. Shax is very simply eject the warp core. That's all yeah. he says. So I think that was really fun because even though I'm missing a lot of context, I could tell that it was really important yeah. to him. Pull a tear to his eye. He's always whether, wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it was just like, I, I mean, I don't know. There was a second where I was like, is this a dream? Because it was so over the top <laughs> where everyone's lining up the halls of the ship <laughs> to cheer him on as he marches towards the warp core to, you know, like give approval and launch uh-huh. this thing. But I thought that was really fun. He was so happy yeah. and I was so happy for him. Like the, the lift doors close. He's got tears in his eyes. He's so genuinely excited. Yeah. Well, so. it's a big deal. And it's like the Enterprise will always, that's the go-to thing. Well, I guess we can eject the warp core. And like what baffled me in Voyager is how many times ejecting the warp core was suggested. Because I'm like, guys, that's your way home. Like you may as well just blow up the damn ship. There's no, like you get rid of your engine. You're not getting back to Earth. Um, but yeah, it's always the it's always the go-to thing. Eject the warp core and chuck a nuke at the problem. And I guess that'll fix it. <laughs> brutal way to kill buen amigo as well just phaser through the wind like i'm sure you see the ship's phaser just destroy that man and absolutely eviscerate him i didn't expect that and that's something fun about the show like i really genuinely did not expect that they were gonna end the ambassador uh uh, what's his name ambassador admiral's moment but they like they reveal he was the bad guy and then yeah. they kill him so fast. I mean, it's one of my sins we'll get to. It happens so fast. It's reveal, exposition, bad guy plan, dead. I'm like, what's the point of the build up if you kill it immediately? Like, I yeah. didn't I didn't feel any emotional no. attachment to the bad guy. I didn't care that he got blown up. It's But I was glad to know that my theory from last episode was that he was behind Oh yeah, the Cerrito setup was accurate because it yeah. was just too it was too on the nose, like as to why he was, he was ready just with the ready there. Yeah, yeah, it didn't make exactly. any sense to do anything else. But yeah, very true. Welcome to the captain's ready room, where we hear our predictions for the next season of Lower Decks and bask briefly in Danae's Q-like glory for anything that she predicted. It's a little bit dusty in here. I haven't. I haven't done anything in here for a little while but this is a great place to talk about the post-credits scene Danae to your knowledge explain it as best you can with no context (laughs) of what's going on oh okay okay so there's a post-credits scene which I was really thankful to see because I actually we talked about this on the peanut butter munch episode yeah god God damn it (laughs) um where 
uh, Rutherford's little face thing was floating mm. out in space, and I mentioned it. And great catch, great, great catch. Here it appears in the post-credit scene, and then it's beamed up, and then the little eye visual display like flashes, and you know that thing with Microsoft little clip art guy, Clippy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I think it's like Starfleet's evil Clippy yes. appears on screen. How did you know that? Uh, well, it, it it's the Delta symbol mm-hmm. with a weird cartoonish smiling face. <laughs> like like Mickey how Mouse else? hands as well? I didn't see the hands. Does it have hands? Oh, it has hands and legs. Yeah. What is it? I have no so, idea what that is. That is Badgy, the com badge. Um, and in season one, I believe, they're creating a holodeck training program or something. And they need some help getting the parameters right. And they summon Badgie the Com Badge. And it is literally meant to be a take on the Microsoft clip art, um, clip, paper no. clip thing. 100%, totally. So I it's the character like that helps this... you out. <sighs> okay. Well, I think that's we cool. We may have talked about this at some point briefly. It's really in the back weird of your because head. I feel like it's in the back of my head somewhere. But as soon as I yeah. saw it, I was like, that's like a weird Microsoft thing because it yeah. has like the big googly eyes. Uh huh. I'm sure we've mentioned it in passing. Um, but yeah, he tried to help and like they give suggestions and say, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And invariably it goes evil and goes bad. So they then have to, like, it tries to murder everybody. You did tell me about this. Yeah, I, I think do so. remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So eventually they beat it, but this is another AI that is on the run. Well, it's not on the run. They've deactivated it, but obviously this but is showing that... But it's somehow loaded into that thing. Exactly. Badgy the Combadge has somehow escaped. So we now have... Okay, hold on, hold on. Yes. Badgy the Combadge yeah. put itself into his piece to live so he lives in that piece totally makes sense it's yes. just been found by yes. some other some other thing they're gonna pull it up stick it on their face and then it's gonna be clippy takeover yeah uh, it totally makes sense like that is probably how clippy uh badgy escaped um probably downloaded itself into rutherford and then just got abandoned I was like huh i didn't mean to be floating in space but i appear to be amazing um, yeah i love it so that's where like this is great for the prediction section because season four seems to be building towards an ai takeover where we have the um the jeffrey uh jeffrey combs ai we have peanut hamper we have peanut. badgy the com badge yeah we have this selection of ai that is gonna i think Whoa. team up and do some shit Okay, guys, 2023 Captain Ian here. Hope you enjoyed that compilation of all of our thoughts from Season 3 of Lower Decks. We look forward to seeing you next week where we will be giving the Cinterprise treatment to the Season 4 premiere um, of Lower Decks. We'll see you then, and live long and potspah! Thanks for listening. Want to connect with the show? Our hailing frequencies are always open through captainspod at cinemasins.com. Like, comment, and subscribe on your podcast player of choice, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com. I mean, but as ambassador, don't I get to make the rules? No, because I've I've demoted you to ambassador of lint. You make sure that all of the lint is properly represented. Just in case there is a one in a million chance that one of the lints develops, like, sentience. (laughs) All right, so quick question. How often do, like, you know, how often does the Centerprise connect with other ships in the fleet? As little as possible, unless you're on vacation. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and when is the next vacation? Next week. Okay. I'll be changing ships next week. Oh, no. Put me in charge of Lint. I'll see you later, bud. I guess you finally got rid of me. Congratulations.
And welcome to season whatever this is. Uh, the captain is looking for a new person to join him every week that he can send applications mm-hmm. to. Yeah, I got over this so quick. Send yeah. applications mm-hmm. to Cinemasins. Um, no, CaptainSpot at CinemaSins.com. Uh, yeah, that's CaptainSpot at CinemaSins.com. You will need to describe what to the captain for your interview. Just how you won't annoy me. <laughs> I really hope you actually get emails that are just people trying to annoy the shit out of no. you. No, I'll forward them to you. I, can, I know how to do that. I have email forwarding. I can do that. I would not replace you. You are definitely the, the Beckett Mariner on this ship. I didn't realize it until we- You put me in we... charge of lint! She once spent a week hiding in the transport buffer after drinking <laughs> the last of my Mutara brand coffee. It's Ambassador Danae. And with me, as always, she's more than happy to violate your prime directive. It's Ambassador Denise. (laughs) (laughs) The rules are more of a guideline. Her dilithium chamber resonates on a frequency only audible to Ferengi mice. It's Ambassador Denise Hughes. She puts the zen in Heisenberg compensators. It's Ambassador Denise Hughes. She enjoys nothing more than a large glass of canard by the light of a transgalactic fold in the fabric of space. It's Ambassador Danae. What does that Hello. mean? What does that, what does that mean? She's fresh out of warp cores after dealing with an isolytic tear in subspace. It's Ambassador Danae Hughes. Yeah, listen, it was a big situation. I've uh-huh. got it under control. Everything yeah. is fine. Mm-hmm. I definitely need a vacation and a shower. She's played one too many games of Parisi Squares. It's Ambassador Danae Hughes. I once spent like two months playing Sudoku. Just solid every like day. Like I you didn't, couldn't you stop. You drink? You didn't do anything else? Is this how you lost your last job? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> and she's inspired a mutiny on board the Barge of the Dead and is currently en route to overthrow Stovacor. It's Ambassador Danae Hughes. I am ready to rule. Do you know any of the places that I just mentioned that you're about to rule? Nope. We thought she'd been vaporized, but it turns out she was just kidnapped by space pirates and forced to search for an ancient Vulcan artifact that turns bad thoughts into murder waves. It's Ambassador Danae Hughes. That was a lot. 